Dice, dragons, demons, and a dwarf in the Warhammer worlds. Don't miss our live show on Thursdays, but for now, you've got us on sloppy seconds with our podcast with the Grimdark Gang. It's time once again for Grimdark Live. Hey, welcome to Grimdark Live, weekly webcast for all things dice, dragons, demons, and a dwarf in the Warhammer worlds. I'm your host, Patrick, and as always, I got Chuck, I got Justin, they're on the show with me tonight. Fellas, what do you hear? What do you say? Let's get it going, boys. We are going to do that. We are back, man. We are back. Chuck, Chuck's kind of holding, holding his gargant in his hand, and I mean the model. Number four. Yeah, this is my Mega. It's named that. It's called the Mega, and that's you what know, she said. A lot of people nickname their, their dongles. That was a that that was a, that was a little you know hidden humor there, folks, for what, what was going on behind the curtain before we got live. All right, here, show us your mega, Justin. Oh, the children, wow. the horror of it all. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what happens when hydras and dragons get busy with each other. That's that's it's that's, so white. That's that's, well, <laughs> that's both interesting and disturbing. I do appreciate on, all of that. I really do. Let's see if we can get you a better picture. Oh, that's oh. beautiful. That's beautiful. And yeah. folks, if you, if you see what's going on here, we are now using uh, this new Google Meet. So that's uh, kind of interesting. <laughs> you know, it, uh, we're, we're going to kind of just roll with it and see how it all shakes out. But uh, but yeah, you know, gang, thanks for thanks for uh, for joining us tonight here on Grimdark Live. We uh, we hope you like the show. And please don't forget to give our channel a like or subscribe if you haven't already done so. And um, folks, but yeah, yeah, Justin, Chuck, and, and to our guest we're going to be introducing here momentarily. Uh, welcome back from Thanksgiving, man. Grimdark Live is back. And, and uh, we're ready to uh, really just... Just blaze through the rest of 2020. Who's ready to get this freaking year over, huh? Yes, please. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. And, and, anytime. Anytime. You're not. You're. You're. You are not kidding. Chuck, how you doing, man? You holding up there? You. You all right? Hey, I am holding up. Uh, I am good to go. The only but thing that scares, let's see what we got going. That's it, man. The only thing that scares Chuck, folks, is a good case of cirrhosis or if the liquor store is closed. Um, and and we're we're lucky that neither one of those things have happened tonight. You know he's he's holding it together pretty good. We are dry, dry as heck tonight. I tell you what. Ooh, <laughs> I'm not. He's well oiled. All right. So here here it is, man. We got a great. We got actually got a pretty interesting show tonight uh, with topics like this building 101, macro versus micro, which I'm actually pretty interested that we're actually flowing this into the the topic of tabletop because I know that I know that a lot of people would think that that's a topic that is generally utilized with computer gaming but in reality it started with tabletop games and with games like you know chess and checkers and and even like game, older like uh, war games like squad leader and stuff like that so we're going to be touching on that which I'm actually pretty excited to be getting into because it was it was always a way that I wanted to try to phrase it and discuss it but I never had the jaws or the ability to kind of put it in a title. And our guest tonight actually brought that up as a topic, and we're going to be uh, we're going to be getting to that. But we're also going to be talking about the Identity Deepkin and Marathi, and uh, and kind of the stuff that's happening right now with that whole you know story arc. So some good stuff also in the news. So that you're going to want to hang out for that too. And I finally get to the to the most important part of the show, man. We've got a great guest with us uh, on the show this evening, and a fellow Grimdark goon. I'd like to add, you know, gang. Uh, uh, he's a really great guy, and, and we'd like to welcome John Anderson to the show. John, thank you very much for being with us, bud. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, man. 
Yay! And, uh, and and John, I hope that um, that that you don't really have a very stable, you know, uh, you know, reputation, and 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 you don't have a lot of people that really genuinely care about you, because we're going to completely mess up everything that anybody may or may not know about you after this show. <laughs> That's outstanding, because fortunately, I just moved to the Midwest this year, so uh, we've got plenty to ruin. Oh, I tell you what, then then we are we're flattered that we're right. actually going to pave the way for your ruination in the Midwest. We're looking for we're Thank looking you. forward to that, man. <laughs> I am I am flattered and humbled to have nice. such good cats to do so. <laughs> that is exactly right. But hey, I want to ask you a question, John. I'm going to put you on the spot right off right off the bat here on the show. You know, okay. and, and we're going to be getting to this later on um, in the news. So so we don't have to get too deep into it right now. But if you are you aware of these advent calendar these these uh, these these rumor engine things that have been that have been happening and you've been seeing on these on the boards. So I actually on the way back we just came back for Thanksgiving. We we drove out to Iowa and on the way home we saw the advent calendar had got posted and we were looking at some of the artwork in that and i gotta tell you man some of that artwork was just straight beautiful it was all from the black library is that right yeah yeah and we're gonna be uh we're gonna be talking a lot about that and we got some of the artwork at least for the first three admin pieces to kind of show and we're gonna be getting into that but it was kind of funny i want to share this because uh this kind of this kind of proves that uh i'm kind of an idiot if you want to know the truth and uh, so I was, I was getting caught up. I was getting caught up because, you know, I, I woke up from like a, like a week-long stupor of, you know, booze and lies. And um, I How is that any different from your normal? Hey, hey come on. Wait a minute. Don't embarrass me in front of the guest over here, Justin. Good God. I mean, he doesn't need to know these things. All right? <laughs> any rate, so... I was I was looking at the boards and I saw that uh, that that they were posting these things and, I, and so I asked a stupid question I, I I did this to myself I go I go is this are these are they going to be doing these things like every day <laughs> This guy goes uh, dude that's kind of how advent calendars work and I was like yeah, oh okay. my goodness oh lord <laughs> I was like thank you thank you very much thank you but I, I so so what I said to the guy just kind of joking around I said you know I wasn't sure because I once got an advent calendar from a Jehovah's Witness and every time you open the door someone just yells fuck off so. It was, uh, it was, it was, that, that happened. No. And, and you know, what was funny is because, um, uh, we're going to be getting into these, these advent things, but I just wanted to kind of, kind of see if you would, you know, kind of aware of these things because normally we have one rumor engine to go through tonight, but later on in the news, we're going to be talking about three of them. So, three of them. Yeah. um, yeah. So folks, yeah. um, what, John, why don't you do this? Why don't you give everyone a brief, you know, kind of, uh, walkthrough as far as, uh, well, actually, let me, let me start off. I'm going to do it that way. Let me start off who you are. I'm going to give everyone kind of a brief intro of who and what John Anderson is. Uh, first off, folks, I'm going to tell you about this guy. This cat won Armed Forces Day 3, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, tournament to ever be played anywhere on the planet. And uh, this cat won the whole nice. thing, man. And uh, he won Armed Forces Day 3 this past year. He's also competed many other tournaments uh, to the likes of NASHCON and other major GT tournaments, uh, I think I think LVO and others. But he'll, he'll correct me if I'm wrong on that or just lie and go along with it. Either one's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, he's, and, he's, and he's here tonight to talk about list building, uh, as we said earlier, macro versus micro, and, uh, and, and as far as game assessments are concerned, and Idnet Deepkin and lore and, and a lot more. So, John, again, thank you very much for being with us tonight, bud. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah, like the, the super quick and quick and easy iteration, I suppose, as you could say, of my gaming history is right. um, I actually started in Magic um back home in clarksville tennessee and we right. had a team that we would travel around it was great um we got together all the time we would build test <clears throat> proxy the whole nine yards it was it was actually really good we had a really close-knit group of guys and it is a military town and a lot of our guys were military and you know how military towns are i um, sure do guys, 
PCS and some people just move away for work and slowly but surely we started to peter off, uh, went our separate ways. Some of us went to the Northeast, some of us went out West, some went to Texas. Um, and then I was offered a role uh, with a new company down in Memphis. Um, and when I took it, that was kind of the death knell for my magic career because the magic scene in Memphis is kind of non-existent. There's one very relevant team that goes and travels, but predominantly the stores are very tribalist. Yeah. So, right. Right. There wasn't really a whole lot of room for welcoming somebody in, even though you sit down on week zero and you're like, hey, by the way, Hydroid Crisis is broken. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. Red, we're going to play Red. And I'm just like, okay, you do you. And then sure enough, top eight, it's all Hydroid Crisis. Right. What right. Do I, what do I know? Did you find the transition easy to go from a game like Magic to, to Age of Sigmar? Believe it or not, it was actually very culture shock. Um, okay. A lot of system shock that I had to go through because in magic, everybody's trying to get you. Like you never trust anybody. You always call a judge. If you were questioning or if you're suspicious of anything, you just, you raise your hand. You're just like, judge, scream it as loud as you can aggravate everybody around you. Then a judge right. comes up and then you resolve it. And coming to Sigmar where calling a judge is actually a little like faux pas, so to speak. Um, finding that out, that was that, that by itself was a pretty big deal. But I, I couldn't be happier actually coming to Warhammer and more specifically Age of Sigmar because the community, both in the Southeast as well as now in the Midwest, right. has been nothing except just like top marks all across the board. Um, it's it's just been outstanding. But the Grimdark guys are the best, right? Uh, they're up there. They're up there. See, see, we, we, we <laughs> wow. never quite make the top. We're just to we, we try. You no. gotta say we're yes to that, that one. We're always that in short. <laughs> You know, we, we, you know, we'll get there someday, guys. We'll get there someday. We'll make John proud of us. Now, um, to be fair, yes, to, to, be, to be fair, you have very high competition to fight with because a, a lot of the cats that have introduced me to the game have been um, very welcoming in terms of yeah. like what they've taught me because I, I do consider myself a very competitive player when it comes to Age of Sigmar. You're a damn good um, player, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, it's very hard for me to make a list that's like, a Saturday fun list. Like I'll show up to our Saturday events here in Indianapolis. And I'll just bring like 27 eels. And then everybody's like, John, go home. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> you're, you're making the children cry. Yeah, I know. Like I'm making the children that don't even exist yet cry. And I'm just like, I'm sorry guys. And so of course, then I had to, you know, tone it down and play a bunch of other shenanigans like Lumineth and whatnot, but that, right. that notwithstanding, <laughs> there's, there's just, there's been a lot of Definitely really, agree with really, you there. really influential folk in, in my career. Yeah, um, I have found that for the most part, the Age of Sigmar community is is one of the better ones in tabletop. I mean, I, I, I not, but by the way, I'm, I'm not going to bore you with mine. This is all about you. But, but by the way, talking about you know calling judges over to the table, have you ever heard the short pants story of how that? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to bore everyone right here. But I, I had in a game, um, at a major tournament. I won't, I won't tell you which one, what, which one it is, but I had the judge come over to the, our table five times and and that was literally the birth of the term short pants but i'll i'll share that one with you later nice. if i haven't already you haven't already heard it before but um yeah so it is very unusual uh but you know it's still gaming right it's still tabletop right. you know you, you you have you're going to have jagoffs in this you know even like magic i imagine so yeah it's it's a lot less um i've noticed that if you develop a reputation for yourself you very quickly can find yourself being ostracized that's um, true. And that's yeah. actually something yeah. that I really respect because in, in Magic, kind of like going full circle to the first point that I made, every, it's it's very much an everybody's out to get you mentality. Like uh, if, if you and your team go to a Saturday event for, say, a PTQ or a PPTQ, right. whatever they are now, 
you're going to have to play some of your buddies at some point. I mean, yeah, of course you're going to be cordial, but I mean, it's still like, it's still last man standing. That's, that's who's going to get the invite to go to the pro tour. That's true. And, and like, we're, we're not Mm -hmm. playing for that kind of clout or that kind of reward. So, I mean, we don't have to be like, well, do I, I, you don't have to have this mental levy of, do I want to levy going to the pro tour? Do I want to like levy playing scummy against my friend? Like you don't have, you don't have to have that. And that's, that's outstanding. Sure. Well, we don't have that anymore. We used to. Okay. We did. Yeah, I've only been playing for two years. So when we had the grand tournaments running around and the yeah. the big sponsored tournaments from GW, there was a lot of that. There was stab your friends in the back to get into the top eight, top ten, top games whatever. Day. And games day, exactly. Yeah. Games day was the invite, kick everybody in the teeth to get into the to get into the twenty people they invited to play in their top show bracket, and that was probably the darkest time of AOS and Warhammer in general Well, was I, when you were stabbing, um, your, you were steer, you stabbing your friends in the back just to make those tournaments. Chuck, what do so, you say? I mean, at least well, that's I, my opinion. I, I would say um, I never got into, I, I did a little bit of the, uh, you know, points based uh, events. And I think that's what you're getting at, right, Justin, where yeah, yeah. You, your top three tournaments, depending on how large the event was, you would accrue points based off that. Mm-hmm. Those people, you know, if it's top 10 or top whatever from an event would then get invited to a regional GT. Right. Um, so and then I you'd never have the top two. You'd have the top two from the regional go to the overall grand tournament and everybody at that top regional was top of their game probably the top 10 percent, maybe top five percent of the entire community and they were bloodthirsty right i mean these people these people would twist rules to their advantage and do everything they could to stomp you in the dirt they didn't care if they hurt your feelings or not and And my my experience from that is I only ever did like two big GTs per year and and, and did fairly well there. So I never really mm. made anything more than like the top 15 and didn't go to a big event. But um, I can see the potential there for people to nitpick at the rules. Uh, my experience right. was back with the Ard Boys events during 7th or 8th edition um, when right. we would play at your local LGS uh, for the first round. Second round was more larger city like Indianapolis, Chicago, St. Louis. And then from there, it would be the bunker stores. And mm-hmm. right. um, at the second level, I believe you were playing for a $600 army. Something uh, like that. Yeah. That would be mailed to your house. I mean, essentially, right. you could custom pick whatever from their website. They would send it to you and you would win something like a 3000 point army if you won the bunker level. And that was kind of where I saw the right. uh, not necessarily nitpicking of rules, but people taking top tier lists and not letting anything slide. You know, oh, you right. would nudge your unit just the wrong way. And they're like, oh, well, no, you can't no, do that. Judge, you know? judge, judge. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that well, was that. Let me let me but interject here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I, I mean, I mean that that's that's a topic for a whole nother show. We can talk about, sure. you know, and, and we've touched on on the culture differences between rank and flank back in the old, you know, sixth, right. seventh, eighth edition Warhammer right. Fantasy battles. And you know, here's the thing. I know, I know, Joe, you were lucky enough, or John, you're lucky enough not to be there. But you know, for for like Justin and Chuck and I, we were there. It was like it was like old nom mm-hmm. flashbacks. You're listening to a bunch oh, of old God. guys, you know, talk about you know, <laughs> you know, rank and flank, and you know, a shaw orange. But, I mean, um, the, you, what I guess I guess the point that that, that we want to bring is is, is it, it is a very welcoming overall. The community yes. is 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 oh, a, no. lot, a lot without I, much I, better. I, I'm 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 not saying that the the current AOS community is not awesome because it is. It's right. inviting. It it brings in 
everybody from multiple cultures all over the board and everybody's pretty welcoming. You bring an army in, you play, you have a good time. If you lose, you lose. I mean, the game, the game, the way the game is currently written, it's pretty easy to lose. <laughs> it well, just, it just, yeah, it just and, and is. We're going to get into but, that here a little bit later. In well, the topic. Yeah, exactly. But, we're going to we're going to get into that. It's just but, you know, John. I think good, I think it's half a dozen one. It, and, and these guys, these, and, and these guys are both going to tell you they're not. But but I've played against these guys, played with these guys. <laughs> these guys are, are damn good players themselves. I mean, they're oh, they're sure, they're yeah. they're upper top tier guys, and and they they know how to play this game. So I think they're they're as value as their as their perception is. Let's keep it rolling. Um, so here's the thing, you know. John, you know, speaking of community and awesome tournaments and probably the most competitive tournament you've ever played in your entire life with the best players you've ever played at with your entire life, when you were at Armed Forces Day 3 uh, this past year, you know, you played your Aydin of Deepkin, and, and as we mentioned earlier, you won that tournament. You know, are you still pretty much playing them, or have you moved on, or what's your new army right now? So I've been told that I'm a little bit abnormal and that I don't really play anything except Idenf. Well, you are friends um, with us, John. I that's, mean, that's, okay, that's fair. Um, I do have some like centerpiece models that I really like. Um, like back here, I have uh, my Terrorgeist. Um, I okay. think it's a really pretty model. Um, I had it done up. Uh, I really like it. Um, going forward, not going to lie to you, is this is like the segue that you're looking for. I do like me some Vampirates, though, because uh, Total War is pretty sweet. <laughs> I'm that... hoping we get them. I seriously am, because I'm on the same boat as you are, man. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I am weirdly I, I, intrigued I def- myself. I am, I am definitely on that boat. If they drop vampires, I am jumping ship not to make the pun. <laughs> you already punned it. I know I did. <laughs> I'm on that ship with you. Okay, so so you got John, you got vampires, and that that's sure. that's down the road. You know they they haven't sure. quite gotten here yet. So you got your Ideneth, you got some of your key models that you like. Which, which by the way, I I think that Flesh Eater Quartz and that whole Death Line have some of the best models as far as in the Death Line. Although I, I'd have to say they're a close second to uh, Night Haunt, but that's just one man's opinion. Um, so hey, your army right I now? Going somewhere else, sir. Yeah, I, me too. Hey, wait Close a minute, you bastards! Don't throw me in the barrel just yet. I'll get there. Um, sure. So, so you're with your Ideneth. Where are you at now? Are you are you, are you still perfecting? Because that was a pretty damn good list. Or are you have you are you trying out different armies right now? Um. So I've got two or three lists. So with with the inclusion of the Marathi book, the changes that it brought in, um, I am fairly confident that come the winter FAQ, especially given the fact that it's going to be you know a digital. Um, a digital production. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm fairly confident that I, I think the time of the eel might be coming to a close um, because one yep. thing that I think is very hard for some people to understand, especially, especially I pilots who don't have a very good scope or grasp on age of Sigmar as a zoomed out level. Okay. Is that the reason that eels were so highly played is because there really wasn't anything else in the book that was worth it. Yes. They're good. They're shot cavalry. No pun intended. They, they're they're strong. They hit you hard. They're they're very they're absolutely strong. But the thing is, is that like when you compare them against like Namardi Thralls or the old Eidolons or right. the God forbid even the Leviathan, like it was just like okay, so the turtle is 310 points right now. Now he's 340, of course. But you say okay, do I want to spend 310 points of my 2,000 max on this Leviathan, or I could spend that on 280 points of eels and then fight for a triumph. And then that was like this constant question that you had to ask yourself whenever you would start like trying to play fish. And the thing was, is that they nerfed eels in the correct way because they didn't nerf them by the, they didn't nerf the scroll because the scroll for Morsar guard is fine. 
Like that's that's a hot take of mine. I think that the the scroll is fine. They have their weakness in the form of their bravery. They they have very clear and glaring weaknesses that you can exploit if you know how to exploit them. That's true. Yeah. But they nerfed them in the correct way by incentivizing you to play other things. They made the turtle playable. They made the Eidolon an absolute monster now. Right. They made sharks with probably, I mean, one of the most absurd rules in the game. Like you just you can't pile in this turn at 18 inches at threes rerolling ones. Hello. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know what? That, that's a great point. And you know, and actually, you know that that might be something we would we would touch on later on here in the show when we start talking about you know mm-hmm. micro and macro, right? Yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, it's funny because um, it's interesting to me to hear. Okay, and I'm 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 not trying to be crappy with my comment here, and and I know that um, uh, I know that Justin and Chuck are going to know kind of where I'm going with this, but you know there are those gamers, and we call them the ADHD gamers, that are generally <laughs> not that good of a player. No, not you, Justin. Uh, you, I mean, you are. You're, you're a sick, degenerate bastard that changes armies, you know, all the time. Weekly? But we still love you. Um, <laughs> uh, but you get these guys, most or these girls, mostly that are, that are uh, like, not very good, and they're constantly changing armies. And I think part of it is because they're constantly changing armies. But what's interesting to me is, and, and I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here again, John, is that you're a hell of a player. You're a damn good player. And... Um, you yourself to kind of hear you say that you're migrating away from an Eidneth Deepkin, I think that's something that a lot of players out there need to pay attention to because it's one thing if a schnook or you know a, a gamer that you know it doesn't isn't very good changing armies all the time says I don't want to play this army anymore because a new shiny toy just popped up versus someone that's actually has street credit like yourself that's actually won tournaments the greatest tournament in the world Armed Forces Day Three by the way and uh, and you are saying you know I th- I think I think the time of the eels is over that was a very strong statement to make mm-hmm. yeah I, I i the reason that i think that is this is and, and let me let me zoom out for just a second and say that the reason that i would be moving off of Ideneth in the future would be because i just do have a very clear and present um passion for playing the the vampire coast i i thoroughly enjoy the playing them when i play total war i think they've got a absolutely easy to print line they've got battle line units they've got uh, special units they've got cavalry they've got heavy cav they've got all this stuff but the thing is is that i think having the knowledge to know as much about Ideneth as that i've learned from both just my own personal play as well as the the guys that i've had coaching me over my the two years that i've played um having that knowledge that's been ingrained in me like you you know where your limits are and what the top of your echelon is because uh, Ideneth has this really interesting place in the meta in that they are like the gatekeeper. When you're when you're building a list, you have to say, can this list beat eels? If it can't beat eels, then you have to really question like whether you want to take that to a competitive tournament or not, because you're going to see them. Yeah. And if you can't beat it, like, what are you going to do? Right. So, right. You know, and that happened to me. I think it was Adepticon 17. You know, I was playing the Dirty Snowball list, uh, Ogre Maw Tribe. I've run in four Thunder Tusks and a bunch of Nobblers, greatest unit in the game. And um, uh, I got completely lit up by uh, an eel army. It was uh, game three, day one. And uh, it was over by the top of the second, or middle, about the middle of the second round. And I just finally said, hey, you want to go get a pretzel and a beer? Right. <laughs> I mean, it was, I, 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 I mean, yeah, I got the hell beat out of me. Uh, but interesting. I'll say this. Oh, go sorry, ahead. No, just, please. Just... Go ahead. So uh, I'll say this. I think that there's a very large discrepancy or not discrepancy excuse me there's there's a gap i think between 
people who invest as much time as we do in competitive lists and then like the average Ideneth player, the average cities player or the average KO player, because like when you invest as much time as some of us do, um, the, like the first name I think of is like Josh Lopez, like Josh right. Lopez on KO, terrifying, absolutely terrifying. I went into that game and get on day two and I was like, oh God, this is my loss. Here we go. Cause I know he's good. Right. And right. when you, when you're that competent, that's the thing is that it's hard to measure your skill set versus the rest of the field because you have to understand that the way that the meta is perceived by all the other players is what they're going to see the most of and they're going to see the average player yeah and when when they're bringing something to the table that's not just absolute full-on degenerative heat yeah results may vary yeah yeah and you know something and and and, and we're, we're almost touching on that topic micro versus macro and and and, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of stick a pin in it but I, I gotta throw a couple of comments here that we saw on, on on the boards up here we got we got rational nihilist who says 10 yard penalty for being an elf that might go on a t-shirt <laughs> oh please don't I know that, who that, is. that might go on a t-shirt <laughs> that may have to go on a t-shirt damn good stuff um, and of course we got, we got Sean. Yeah, that was 2019 that I got the cut the tire beat out of me at Adepticon. I got, I got beat up so bad. I had amnesia. I'm thinking it's 17. It's 19. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for, for correcting me there. I think those are healthy though. Like if I can interject, I think losses like that every now and then in your career, they really do something for you to wake you up. They give you, because, an, well, yeah. It, it also teaches you how to be a, I, I think that we really need to touch on that, right, Pat? Yeah, well, go, go and repeat that because you kind of broke up here a little bit. They, they teach you what? Oh, I w- it teaches you how to be more of a compassionate player, you know, an understanding of yeah. the other person. You know, and, and I, want, I want to kind of park the rig and, and kind of touch on that for about a minute because that's a really good point. I, and, you know, I, I think okay. here's the thing, you know, um, I remember one time uh, in, in a past life in a sport that I was doing, it was boxing, I, I lost a, my first fight. And I'll never forget my coach. I was yeah. gonna, I was going to quit. I was you know a kid, whatever. And and a, and a coach said to me, "You show me a guy that's got no losses on his record. I'll show you a guy that's never fought anybody." And it 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 changes your your mindset a little bit. But I think more than just the compassion, it's the understanding. Because I've learned more from any loss than I have from mm-hmm. any win. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's when we get into these these situations where I have taken that loss when I got the absolute tar beaten out of me in that game by that eel army freaking eels uh and i've 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 digested that to a point to where if i ever played that game again i may not win again but i'll definitely know i won't lose that way and i'll be able to actually do things differently even from setup so yeah i I think i think but i think compassion is a good way to put it too because you also remember uh how to be a little bit less relentless i guess at times to other people right i think that's what you're going towards right? right right I think that's what I was trying to get at. Yep. All right. Good. Well, okay. Let's keep it rolling because I, I can juice the show like nobody's business. Or, or Justin, go ahead, man. What are you going to say? You're, you're on mute, bud. I said I was going to. I didn't have a takeaway when I was playing when I played John in Armed Forces Day. It was second game and with my city's gun line basically versus his heels and my deployment. That's what got me. You know. If I had deployed differently in that game, it might have been a different story because oh, I had a I had a lot of shooting to go at him, and his his list was one of the ones I feared at that at that tournament because twenty seven eels I know how they act, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it and it did scare me. John, any comment on that game on that particular game? 
I think <laughs> I, I like the idea or I like the wording of it that oh on that game oh good god um I think if your steam tanks had been back three inches I lost I'll tell you that yeah because it was a de- it was a deployment issue I yep. just I hadn't put I didn't place right yep that mm. that was honestly I think that was probably it like if you had been three inches back um I would have had to net a 11 inch charge with the soul scryer buff so that would have been eight re-rolling which is still very unlikely right um, and i probably wouldn't have even gone for it at that point sure all right so what are you gonna say it about was, john it was, what still, you gonna say it, about was still, it was still a fun game though oh very very much so <laughs> um what i was gonna say is I, I i like the i like the wording for it that saying that it's compassion because i think the, the worst loss that i've ever had and this is very very quick story i, pro- I promise i'll tell no, you this. go ahead <laughs> the 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 worst loss i've ever had in my life was actually in a team event um so last year with the guys that i was at uh that i was playing with in memphis um price vanderberg was our coach really nice guy he taught me a lot about how like the game age of sigmar plays not necessarily how to approach it from a competitive stance that was more um, one of my friends from Clarksville, his name's Eric H. He actually plays for the U.S. Army 40K team. Brilliant nice. mind. He's the abs- he, he's the absolute brains behind all of our numbers um, whenever we're talking about list building. But it was at ATC, and at the top of day two, we went 2-2 two, two as our team. And at the top of day two, we played the run ATC team, which was the team that ended up winning. And I was manhandled by Brendan Melnick. I mean, it was <laughs> brutal. Like, no, I'm, I'm not even talking. I'm not even going to try and like hyperbole this at all. I had to sit down and just evaluate why none of his stuff was dead and why all of my fish were dead. But, and this is the big, this is the big thing here. It's sometime it's those, it's in those losses. And Pat, you brought up a really good point that you've learned more in your losses than you right. do in your wins. Because mm-hmm. that was a very big moment for me in my actual career, because that was when I got linked up with somebody who knew vastly more than I did and do regarding the game. And Brendan's actually been teaching me for the past two years. I mean, he has nothing but high marks for the guy. Absolutely ragtag me. And he, we talked about it afterwards and he was just like, why did you do this? Why did you deploy this way? Why did you drop your battalion all at once? And I explained like, I didn't know I could do anything different. And then we zoomed out and we set up a little bit again of half of our armies. He was just like, well, you could have done this differently. Try putting them here. And that way your threat range is this and you have this much coverage. And I was like, holy cow. And then immediately the next game, I did that against Shootcast, and I mean, I just tabled the guy. Right, it was awful. Right. Well, yeah, we we, we know Brendan as well. Yeah, and you know, and and, uh, and, and he is uh, quite a, a competitive player. And as a matter of fact, speaking of manhandling, I mean, the last time he manhandled someone, he got three phone numbers in a court case. So, <sighs> you know, he just one. Hey, all right. So nice. let, let's keep it let's keep it rolling here. So, um, uh, the the and here here's here's our last pre-guest intro question here All right, I'm, I, and, and, and here, here it is uh so john your thoughts on marathi and the state of things revolving around her and and, and the whole developing broken realm storyline i mean where, where are you at with that one um okay so i'll tell you my my the things that i like the things that i don't like and my nuclear take because i do have one nuclear take regarding broken realms okay all right so the things that i like i really like that daughters of cain and Ideneth have teamed up because we leased order armies of the order faction by a country mile like sure i always joke about it that i just i said that we we applied to the other grand allegiances and they were like yeah you're cool but you've got this problem so we're not letting you in like we applied to destruction and then we told gordrak that we have a caste system and he's like what's what's structured i don't like this and so then he didn't <laughs> let us in of course nagash just hates us for existing so that didn't work and then Zinch just said something unintelligible and then cast fireballs and we're like, all right, screw this. We're done. So then we walk up to order and we're just like, 
well, you're it. So I guess we're going to go hang out I, with I'm, you guys. I'm, I'm surprised you're not the fifth faction, considering how stupid Sigmar is. So that's okay. I can you're say that there. after I read some of that history. Yeah, you're getting there. Um, I really like, so I read for anybody, I don't want to do any, do any massive spoilers, but yeah, the, no spoilers, no spoilers at all. But the, the culmination for the Marathi book lore wise, um, was an outstanding, um, end to the first broken realms book. Um, I really enjoy where they're going with it. The things that I don't like, I really wish that they would have kind of expanded on the city of Anvilgard just a little bit more. Okay. Like I, I kind of, I wanted to see just a little bit more meat about this city where this massive fight was going to take place. And then all of a sudden they're just like, here's 16 Leviathans flying through boats. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that's just not happening now. Right. <laughs> I've heard yeah, people and, mention that before. Sorry, Chuck. Yeah. That that's really, that's, that's the thing. But my, my nuclear take, I think the end of the broken realm series of books will be broken realm Sigmar. And We'll finally get a model for him, and that'll usher in 3.0. Maybe, maybe. Interesting. I mean, I got, I, I've got my calls on what's happening with the next couple of books, but you okay. Know, and and I don't know, I don't know, uh, if, if John, if you if you heard the show a couple of weeks ago before he broke for for Thanksgiving, but we kind of mildly touched on that. And and here's my take oh, yeah. on it. Yeah, I have a hard time wrapping my my little pea brain around the idea that we're actually going to get models for the 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 Grand Alliance gods, right? I, I just can't. You know, here's the thing: we got Nagash, right? But he doesn't really count, even though he's the CEO of the entire Death Faction, right? I mean, there's nobody above mm-hmm. him, right? But you can take like say a a great unclean one, right? You can take somebody like that. We know that Grandpa Nurgle is above him, or you could take, you know, uh, whatever, you know, Stormcast, you know, and we know that Sigmar is above him, so on and so forth. Death is really the only oddball Grand Alliance that doesn't have that, you know, etheric type of god in the in the sky somewhere or wherever. So yes. I find it difficult that 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 GW as a company even to bring a little reality would actually break the mold on that concept of imagination to give us something. Cause you know, I, I think that as a company, they'd be too afraid of the disappointment. Like, you know, you'd put this model down and be like that Sigmar. That looks like my third grade gym teacher. You know, like you, you, you wouldn't know, like, I think they're afraid of that. That's my take on that because, um, people rag on Nagash and he's already the CEO, but that, that's just, that's what we kind of said in last week's show. I mean, fellas, what do you think about that? Well, they kind of did it in 40 K though, when they brought out, uh, what's his name? Gulliman. That was, that was Gulliman. That was kind of their homage to the right hand of the emperor. The right hand, not the actual. No, no, no. I understand that. Well, yeah, but you're not going to have a golden throne running around with a corpse in it. But hey, hey, Seraphon, hello. They got a dead frog on a freaking park bench floating around. What are you talking about? Yeah, it has more consciousness than any god that's currently running around on the damn planet. But you you see my point how I I don't think that they're going to give up that imaginative piece. I I just don't see it. Yeah, so where where does the game go after that? If if you release them, that's the right. That's it right there. So so this is how they can move forward without releasing the god-born models. You just you tiptoe. You say this is Marathi in her godlike form. This is the next uh special character from this in a new book in their special form right. or in their godlike presence. I mean well, and that and that's why we got Sigvald coming and the reborn. Mm-hmm. Okay, again yeah. though, not Sigvald is not you know, the, you know, Slanesh. No, he's not. 
but he is literally the biggest, baddest herald they have. I, I realize that. I, and, and we're going to talk about him here in a little bit. But my whole point I'm trying to make is I personally don't – I'm going to make a call on this. I don't think that they're going to introduce the Pantheon God models. I, I don't I don't see it happening. That's my no, two cents in the tin you're, can. You're, you're going to get part of them. I don't know we about already that. Have, we already have Teclis, who's a Pantheon God. We are we have Tyrion coming, who's a Pantheon God. So you're gonna you have Nagash, it's a Pantheon God. If you I if would you read for Tyrion, actually, if, if, if the last you, one was if you actually, I don't know if you read okay. the history in the New White Dwarf, but Nagash was released by Sigmar and used him as a bridge to help rebuild cities in Shaiish. I, I got I, I know all that. I get that. What, right. I guess my, so, my whole point so is you, even so you got you got Pantheon gods everywhere. I, but my whole point is even Nagash, take Marathi. Uh, Alariel, all these, God. all these second tier gods. They're not Grandpa Nurgle. They're not Sigmar. Oh, they're no. not Slanesh. They're not Corn. And that's why I, I don't know. I, I mean, Chuck, what do you think? You, you, you got the, you got the wheels turning, man. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna. I don't mean to circle back, but you know, looking back at what they would do after they release the God form of like the actual God itself. Where does the game devolve or evolve into after that has been done? So I, I think we're going to see more of a uh, splash release with the god forms, the, the sub-gods, or the special characters or you know hero-level equivalents trying to reach the, the god form themselves. Now, will that include special rules that you know make them more like the god? We, we could see versions of that, but not the gods themselves. Okay. Um, I, I think it'll be a, a release of something to that effect, and then some offhand book that's like the Sons of Bahamut, you sure, know, sure. where we didn't get the God Mega Gargant, we got just the versions of him. Okay, you you got the lesser beings that crawled out of uh, what's this Beomot, yes. basically. We, yeah. All right. Well, we'll, know, have, we'll have to so. see. We'll have to see. And you, and you know, you know, what this kind of this kind of harkens back to guys is is and, and John, I don't know if you know this that we do this, but at the beginning of every year, so we'll be doing this here in a few weeks. We kind of pick to see who is going to be the who we think is going to be the big army of that year, and we I, I, so so we got. Uh, uh, I actually was I, I think I picked the worst one in the beginning of the year. I said high elves, you know, not knowing Illuminath realm lords or anything like that. Um, Justin, you had Seraphon. Yep, he was close. So you were you were <laughs> you were pretty close. Randy also had Seraphon. I think you guys were in cahoots, but we we kind of do this. We pontificate here a lot, and we we kind of drive the show right into the ground. John, that's exactly what we do here often, oftentimes. But we'll have to get back to the whole chaos god thing because I do think that would be a good separate topic uh, for right. another show. But here it is, guys. We're we're going to start winding down our beginning. That's a hell of a beginning of a show, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Thirty-seven minute opening. <laughs> and that's why I don't do strap two in, shows boys. Tonight. Yeah. So here's here's what we got. We're going to run into this, and I'm going to give you guys a look behind the curtain, as we always do, with the question of the day. But don't answer it now. Do not answer it right now, but kind of keep it written down and ready to answer here later on, because we're going to throw it at John here later on, right off the bat, and we're going to put him right on in, in the spotlight. So here it is. When does a player know that they've played out an army and it's time to move on? Uh, hold your answers. The question of the day is going to be coming up here pretty, uh, pretty, later. Pretty good question. I, I think I, I really I think it, so I get too. It. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good stuff. We're gonna be uh, right back with our with the news. So hang tight. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, you Grimdark goons, thank you all so much for listening to our Grimdark Live podcast. If you're new to the Grimdark Live experience or new to our podcast and like what you hear, please follow this podcast and pass us along to your friends. Let us know what you think about Grimdark Live in the show's comment sections, and let us know just how we're doing. Also, don't forget to catch us live on Thursdays. And if that isn't enough for you, check out our website at www.grimdarklive.com. That's grimdarklive.com. Anyway, thanks for listening, following, and just being awesome. Hey gang, today's news is brought to you by Six Squared Studios. Yep, an awesome company for all your gaming and hobby needs. Six Squared Studios. I'll say it again. Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios are the real terrain nerds you all need to be getting your terrain from. Get your commercial laser-cut MDF bases, silicone molds for resin prints, game and hobby accessories like 15 to 28 millimeter terrain, 15 to 28 millimeter figures, and 15 to 28 millimeter vehicles, and a lot more. So get your nerd on with Six Squared Studios. Check them out at sixsquaredstudios.ca. Again, that's 6-squaredstudios.ca. Six Squared Studios, where tabletop terrain is made by gamers for gamers. Just like their saying goes, gaming accessories made by gamers for gamers. Six Squared Studios. The news, extra, extra, read all about it, man. Here we go. We've got finally the news. After that 37-minute warm-up, man, no no one ever does a warm-up or an intro like we do, huh, guys? I mean, that was good stuff. That's all-star stuff here, man. You know, and it's all because of our guests, man. We normally don't do that just for anybody, but we only do that for people that win the greatest tournament on the planet, and that's Armed Forces Day 3. Right, John? That's right. <laughs> all right, I'll stop doing that. All right, so here it is, man. We're going to get into um, the news, and we got we got actually some interesting stuff to go through. As a matter of fact, I was... um. Um, looking here at the uh, the rumor engine, we're going to start with this one because this one's kind of interesting because uh, this is that whole Advent thing that we were laughing about at the beginning of the show. Now, this is obviously the first of December's Advent one, and okay, it's a boot, great, you know. And I guess my when I first saw this thing come out, and we kind of talked about this uh, the other day, was um, 40k. I'm thinking maybe Admech or Sisters, Knights, maybe Tempesta Scions or something like that. Who knows? But John, throwing hey, uh, it to you first, what do you think, bud? I'll tell you what it's not. I like That's it. That's not Ida <laughs> <laughs> That's no damn eel. That's no eels right there. Um, man, I, I like the idea that it's Adeptus Mechanicus. Um, Could be. Not, a, like, with, not with spiked armor, though. Not with not with the spikes in the in the the, uh, the lining. That's chaos. That's a skinny leg for a chaos guy. Though. I know it is, but that's chaos. That's got too much. It's that got dude skipped too... leg day for three weeks straight, wow. man. Something because okay, okay, okay. Hold on. What what do we th- before we like get wild accusations going about what this is? Do we think it is AOS related? No, no. Uh, I think it's forty k. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All sure. right. So so forty k futuristic. Uh, and we think it's more chaos related because it's got the the spike going the into spike. the heel. Now, would you guys say that's a floor de lee at the top of that shin plate, though, and at the bottom? I would. It looked that way. That's why kind of why I was saying maybe it could be sisters. Ooh, mm. it is a smaller leg. Maybe it's a smaller right. leg. Yeah, that, that, you know that could just be something for another Necromunda character. In all honesty, with small legs, it could be a juvenile, um, that's or juvie model, something like that. That's leading into, or we're looking at a whole new game. And these are all related. 
Maybe. Possibly. Yeah. Maybe. But I'm going to go back to something Chuck just said, too. And that, I mean, to me, it, it feels very, um, looking at this thing, it, it feels very sister-esque, especially given the, yeah. the little, like you said, the Florida lease on the armor. I mean, maybe they've got another unit coming in addition to the that lieutenant-style model or whatever that they, that they released a few weeks back. Um, yeah. Maybe it could be something like that. Uh, that. That would be my thought. Um, but Dude, it, I mean... Go oh, sorry. I was just going to say, do sisters have a current release in Necromunda yet? No, they don't. Okay. Oh. That would be I, good. Yeah. The, and then the, the thing, I mean, yeah, you get to, you get the mechanicus because of the, the ball joint or the joint that's on the ankle, you know, and then you've got the big clumpy foot piece, the covering of the foot. So I know this is a 40 K piece just because of the overall aesthetic of it. I just okay. don't know where it's where it's sitting because your knee between your knee joint, that knee joint is also extremely thin, which makes me think this is an automaton of some type, not even an actually human. Interesting. All right. Okay. I mean, John. I mean, you play 40k, and what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, so funny enough, I played 40k once. Uh, I charged corn berserkers <clears throat> into a plague burst crawler, uh, and then I had my army on eBay before I got to my car. <laughs> that is a great story. The truth. Hundred percent truth. I swear to God, that's exactly what happened. It was on eBay before I got back to my car, and I was so upset. I'm like, I'm never playing this stupid game again. I so, almost wonder. If, I almost wonder if this is a revamp of an assassin model. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, this one kind of is, I, I, again, I'm going to stick with the fact that it's sisters. That's my thought. But, but John, I love that. You know, going back to what we talked about a little earlier in the show. You know, I guess did you learn any compassion out of that beating? <laughs> I learned an absolute undying hatred for Papa Nurgle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I, I bet that loss made prison rape look like a Amish first date. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's keep it rolling here, man. We're going to go on to the next one here. Here is, but I mean, let me, let me go on. Let me, let me say this first. All right. The whole, the whole, the whole beating that John took, uh, got me off on a left turn. So here's another thought. This one's a real mix of styles and I'm going to kind of cue in on what Justin said earlier. You know, that could be, as, as, we, as, as you also said, Chuck, that could be a Sisters Florida Leaf, but it could also be one of those um, arrowhead designs. Justin, help me out. They're, they're commonly seen on Admech vehicles and right. Imperial Knights. The, 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 mm-hmm. the, uh, the circular design at the ankle the, also suggests the, to me that it could be Admech of some kind. But right. the spikes on the side of the armor, um, the, the little trim points, um, that, that tells me you, possibly chaos or chaos knights right. of some kind. Right, because you don't see those trim points and things like that on emperor's based armies right. anything I, that's, anything that's clean or emperor mm-hmm. i literally usually on on chaos i literally just kind of came to that just just listening to you guys talk okay let's keep rolling on so we got the next one here the rumor engine we got the second of december's uh advent calendar i'm still sticking with 40k here on this one guys it looks like a maybe a but how about how about this an imperial guard yep. artillery officer maybe inquisitor something like that, that. is an inquisitorial scribe mm. Okay. That's that book. That book. The the emblem on that book is an inquisitorial is an inquisitor's emblem. Yeah. Yep. I can see that. Like a minor character on a bigger model, maybe. Like you know, like yep. Catacross has seven random dudes hanging out. Right. With so I'm go. thinking. I'm thinking this That's is a good some, one, John. like you got a general or a, like an inquisitorial leader, maybe maybe a revamp of Draco or something like that, and right. a little scribe standing next to him holding all of his accolades in a book and crap like that. I like it. I like it. I, that, that's I, yeah. Okay. I think. I think. Was that the first one in a while that all of us have agreed on? Did I just yeah, hear that I think right? So. Yeah. I mean, Chuck, are you in? What is this, man? I I am in on that too. I 
I mean, it, it's a humanoid model, obviously, with right. some type of cloak and box and a scroll rolled up. Uh, it looks like it's wearing some type of armor because of the, the tunic piece coming down from uh, the thoracic region. So I'm going to have to go on board with that. I think I'm a Justin Zonaball there. You know what, John? You just made me think about something with with your comment about Catacross. How about this? I mean, think about this. I'm, I'm going to try to tie in my, my, my weak 40K knowledge here as well. But uh, there are loads of, of those um, rogue trader minis, right, that were only in the Blackstone Fortress uh, drop. And we know how GW likes to recycle and, and get the most from their molds. So I'd say as much as I some, – some type of Inquisition or some form of Imperial agent I do agree with – but I think it's going to be maybe a slight offshoot, or maybe like 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 what John was saying, maybe a group of these, um, you know, scribes or whatever you call them, Justin. But I, I I'm leaning to this might actually be a conglomerate or or part of a unit, like a unit. You know what? Something. You know what that actually might be an update to the Imperial Psyker model. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Interesting. Well, I think uh, I think this next one here, even too, for you know, for uh, D- December third. That we're going to be getting to this one might also be 40k but when i first saw this it was kind of interesting to me when i first saw it i thought you know hydra is it a drake is it a dragon a doorknob a dog i i had no idea what the hell it is <laughs> how um, big is it how small is it yeah i mean this one it's kind of tripped very up a small bit. and not big yeah <laughs> does it sit in someone's lap and purr when they pet it yeah it's, it's big little john what do you think man that's a piece of scenery <laughs> you know what <laughs> You might be right. I like it. <laughs> no, and I'll tell you why. Because if you look at that, that bone that's like shaped out of the head here, that is a completely different material and a whole different texture than that third tooth that's coming out of that jaw. That's a, that's a, that's something that's on a piece of scenery of some kind. Maybe like a war cry. I don't know. Something like that. I like it. All right. All right. Well, we just figured out that John's the smartest one on the show tonight. That that works. Justin, I mean, that's, Chuck, that's what a- is that? It's a good point because it almost looks like some type of handle in the mouth of that skull. I mean, it, it's a snake, a two-eyed snake skull somehow. Okay. But it looks like it's from a piece of scenery, like on a door or the top of a pillar. Yeah. And uh, it's something that may have a chain even hooked to that uh, silver mouthpiece that goes around to the silver. I don't know. What would you would call it? Like a what like a the... door knocker. Okay. Yeah. What if this is the head to that? Supposed thing we saw that has tail strapped down with a chain. That that's right. Oh, that's right. Be. That was three what, four what weeks if, ago. What if, what if this is the actual head of that creature, and it's a new type of hydra or something else? You know what? That could be too. It may that we we could be looking at some maybe the other end of that of that model where before we saw the tail that was you know kind of somehow locked to the. Rock the, 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 new, the, the new breed of Anvil Guard Hydra, maybe? Hydra mixed with dragon? Yeah. 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 Or, uh, or, or, or something along that line, because we did get stories recently about how Anvil Guard wants to mount an attack to go back at Marathi. Well, you know something? I, I'm going to kind of go back. to that. That's a, that's a good one, but I, I got to go back to the fact that it's, it's, um, it's either something carrying something in its mouth or it's a skull or a head of some type mounted on on something like a terrain piece, like John was saying. That's kind of what I think it is. Yeah, I I, I do. Uh, it's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I, I really like the idea that it could be the other the other part of the, part to that model that we saw, you know, three four weeks ago. But um, yeah, that, that's well, kind of a mount. It's a mount of some type, maybe. Sure. 
Sure. But let's keep it rolling, man. Get, we, we got a lot of good topics to get into. So we got to get through the news here. So we got the Saturday pre-orders that are coming out. We got Dire Chasm and the Warcry Grand Alliance that's going to be coming out. And this one is, a, is actually kind of exciting. I mean, it's going to be another big week for pre-orders uh, and that's coming up. And um, I, th- I think re- realistically that Warhammer Underworlds, this Dire, this dire Chasm, this, uh, this core set, I guess, this is going to be the new box set, and, and the whole game itself features everything you need to really start playing. And I like how every year Underworlds kind of goes through this this re-release you know they you know we saw them do it before with beast grave and uh prior to that when underworlds was first released and i like how they're kind of keeping the the game fresh like that um i don't play a lot of it but i i like the the fact that they're that they're doing that um and of Mm. course you're going to get all your decks your boards your dice your little tokens all the stuff that comes in all those starter sets um and you know we've seen these models before guys remember that you know back about two or three weeks uh, ago, or, or maybe it was even more than that, maybe five weeks ago with that sneak peek, that Saturday release, uh, that COVID release that they were doing. Um, I mean, the models are awesome, but we've kind of seen these things before. That Slangor is is probably one of the best, in my opinion, being a Beast of Chaos player. But gang, you know, John, gang, what do you what do you think about this, man? I don't, I don't know if you saw this or not, but when they, on the article that they released along with these photos, specifically your Slangor down there, he's, didn't they say like a, like a herald of things to come? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that hint, that actually hint. is pretty cool because couldn't couldn't Beast of Chaos use an update? Oh well, god! Oh well, yeah, they're they're what they're one of the last? Yeah, they're old guard. They're one of the old. Yeah, God, they were one of the first books out, and they well, haven't had a real. Major they were the update. first. Well, they were the first conglomerate book that came out. They kind of they kind of right. set the table for what was later Gloom Spite gets and you know uh, all the other ones that came down the line. But but yeah, they 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 came out uh, in 2018. They're not quite as old as Maggotkin, which I think was the end of 16. But, but they're old. Um, oh, yeah. So anyway, John. I mean, yeah. I mean, do you play Underworlds? I really don't. Um, we just recently started up uh, a Warcry little league that we're going to be doing here in Indianapolis, which uh, I need to get plugged in with because I think that looks really cool. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say that I think some of these models are. Uh, I I have models that I absolutely love, and then I think they just I loathe as a bow hunter, like way to my core. Um, the Lumineth Realm Lords, their Stone Guard unit that they have, um, I think is just probably one of the best uh, Lumineth Realm Lord units, or excuse me, models that they've released. I think yeah. that looks significantly better than the normal Stone Guard. Okay. Um, and then at the same time, the uh, Sentinel that's released, like his feet are together, he's standing on a rock, and he's off balance like this. And I'm just like, dude, you ain't hitting squat, man. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what this dude's doing, but he ain't shooting nothing. Right. Right. And, you know, and, and I got to tell you, too, I agree with that. I almost like the Lumineth, but I feel that the faces of the, the Swordmaster guy and the Wizard are kind of poor. Uh, that that, that kind of threw me off a little bit. Now, may, maybe it's the paint job that was that was shown in the pictures, but I was kind of looking at that and kind of thinking, eh, I, I don't know. That didn't really, you know, that really didn't really do it for me. I mean, Chuck, Justin, what do you think? No, I'm I'm actually on board with you, too. I mean, we're, we're seeing some stuff in here that is kind of giving us inklings as what may be coming down the pike into AOS. I mean, on, on the Lumineth side, you've got, you know, that new Swordman model. Right. That's, if you look at that model closely, a lot of the uh, the ideology on that, the the symboling on it, sorry, I can't speak today, is, I old, it is old guard. Mm-hmm. It's old, it's old hammer Tyrion's sword guard. It's the yep. ones he specifically put out. And I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot more of those hit when Tyrion's army hit. So I think right. we're getting we're getting 
we're getting looks into models of the future for AOS three. Yeah. And I think we're starting yeah. to see, we're going to see those swordsmen come out. We might see a different type of wizard come out, which is why we have this one specialty wizard in here. And on the other side, you know, your, your Slanegor, your slush gore, the, 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 Slangor. the with Slangor. Yeah. Slangor. You know, I think we might actually see running, gunning goats like that in units of love five, and five would, or more. Oh, I would God. absolutely love that. I would be all <laughs> over that, man. I, that would be just you know, great. you know what I mean. But you also have I, you also have all those those mortals behind it. And right now, Slanesh is pushing pretty heavy with mortals. I'm glad to see it. Yeah, they just um, had that rule that only so, affects what two models in the game right now. I think something so. like that. Something like that. But you got really remember the new Slanesh are, are what were they call them? Twin sold. Yeah. So they they're they're mortal souls and demon souls. So yep. and we're going to be touching on that here in a little bit. But I mean, Chuck, what were you going to say about uh, about? So with the underworlds, um, I personally I know this is a new release going into it. Um, the last thing I picked up for underworlds was the Morgox Crushers or Crushes. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I just loved how those orcs looked. So I mean, if you're an AOS player and you're looking for something to paint and throw into uh, a quick game, these models are great. Um, I personally do like the the goat. I did not know the name of it when you guys were originally talking, but I'm like, I remember seeing that pop in uh, my Twitter feed. Yeah, and uh, I think that Games Workshop uses this as a testing bed to see if if the interest is perked on Underworld release. That like being it. said, they then can feed that into AOS or Warcry. So easily. We may see in a six to nine month time period uh, these released as like a splash release or Warcry, and then further from Warcry into you know an AOS limited one month drop with a quick book and and whatever else. Okay, I like that. I like that. I like yeah, that. That's I'm, 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 I'm on the same page as Chuck. I just I like these models for dumping them in as hero models or specialty yep. unit leaders because they're just. They're they're so different than what you get in the standard box right. that it gives that that it's that conversion that that extra flavor that yeah. a lot of players like to go for. And you know what? Speaking of box games, and we're going to move on to the to the Warcry one here. This one actually kind of caught me off guard is really how they're really expanding Warcry. And I mean, you know, when Warcry first dropped, they talked about their four year plan and um you know how they want to build on this but I, I really didn't think it would happen like this this quickly and this whole grand alliance battle tome uh and and, and more warband boxes is really what's coming out i mean they're, they're actually coming out with with warband battle tomes which is uh, uh pretty damn incredible i mean my initial takeaway is that you know the legions and the gosh box is vintage i loved it when i first saw that break i think it was like tuesday afternoon i almost fell out of my desk chair and I, I love it, and 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 I'm not even a death player, guys. Like you know that I don't play death at all, haven't ever. But when I saw that, it was really cool to see how they packaged that up. And and Warcry, as I said before, has battle tomes now. That mm-hmm. completely tripped my trigger on that one. I, I mean, th- these these new battle tomes are a good idea. They're a really good idea. And and being able to play most of the AOS models into Warcry yeah. is also really good, by the way. So. I'm not trying to compete, you know, Underworlds against Warcry, but I think box for box, game for game, man, I could see Warcry, you know, because you got that culture out there in the gaming world. You guys know that, yeah. that there's box gamers, right? They, 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 they like right. their games in a box. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fine. But I could see if, if, if Games Workshop isn't careful, they could compete with each other, you know, the, the, in, in, for the same market. 
And I think I see the way Warcry is going. I see that catching fire uh, a lot faster and a lot and a lot uh, better than I think Underworlds ever has. Guys, what do you think? Well, well, we talked about this before, where this is all springboard. I mean, all Warcry, um, yep. Warget. You know, all 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 of these games are all interlinked each other to bring you into their primary bread and butter game, which is AOS. AOS. Yeah. Yep. Right. So. so <laughs> So all of these games are linked and they're all interchangeable parts. They're, I mean, everything in them is usable in some way or form in every game. Sure. So I don't think they're feeding on each other enough. I think they've, they've taken their universe and they said, okay, here's this one little corner of our uniform, our universe called the eight points. And here's all the war bands and stuff we're releasing that are fighting there. But guess what? You can still pull them out of there and bring them into your AOS army. And, Oh, here's Beast Grave, and here's you know all these other guys that are the heroes of these realms that are going into these places looking for treasure to bring back to their Grand Alliance armies. You yeah, know, so yep. you're 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 pulling every aspect and every every lore chain I mean, there is. John, John, I mean, you, you were you you brought up Warcry before we switched over to this and started looking at this. I mean, what are your thoughts on this thing? One thing I really like um, is that the Warcry boxes are not exclusively new models or old models. And I think it rings true to Justin's point in that, like, see, like, for instance, the Scions of the Flame, to the best of my knowledge, those were not printed in AOS before this. Whereas you go to look at something like Sylvaneth or Legions of Nagash, where you've got the Necromancer, you've got Tree, uh, excuse me, Tree Revenants or uh Kurnoth hunters you've got these combination and this soup of new and old models that are going to be introducing people and they're going to say like oh i really like this dude with a giant bow and he's a walking tree and then you could say well buddy do i got the army for you and then you could just segue <laughs> him right into a lariel riding a giant beetle and then they're like sweet this is awesome and that's exactly what i think you want to be able to do um i yeah, like it. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan i'm a big fan i like this Nice, nice. Chuck, two cents in a tin so, can on this one. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to go from, like, the tin can to the wine rack because uh, from what Justin said, we were testing the waters to possibly get new players into the game. We're giving them a, a little bit of uh, weed, and then they get the crack later on. Um, <laughs> so it's like a gateway drug, right? I mean, okay, John, when you were playing Magic, did you not enjoy the smell of opening up a new pack of magic cards every time you heard that little crinkle of the foil? Uh, I would rip it, and then I would look for the Snapcaster Mage, and when I didn't see it, I would get really upset and throw the rest of them. Okay, well, I like the smell, okay? I, that's one of the things I just, I can't, anyway, that did not go the way I thought it was. No, so no, he, please continue with your sniffing thing. So, so he, he was the hungry beaver trying to get to the, to the nut real quick. <laughs> yes. Crack it. Chuck's open no. Chuck's hanging around the laundry basket all day long. So, you know, I do think this is sort of their intro to get uh, new players in the game. Um and I like the fact that when we played at Armed Forces Day GT3, we actually got to use a little Warcry Warband, right? Yep. In our in our free game, or in our game, we got that just tossed yep. in. So I think, you know, from a Games Workshop standpoint, that that's how they kind of get people to bring those armies or those new Warbands from Warcry into the AOS game. So it's a way for the current AOS player to incorporate the new game in and then again it's a new way for players who haven't played the actual game to 
get in and get into the mix of playing AOS. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm a, I think I'm a bigger fan of, of Warcry, to be honest with you, than I am Underworlds. But that's just one guy's opinion. I, I like the mechanics. I, I like the, the, the backstory. So good stuff. Well, you guys ready for, uh, for Sigvault? Ready to talk about that guy? That's our last yes. part of the news here, man. So here it is. I, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, my first thought was, when I first saw this model break, I said, so Sigvault is not a demon prince. All right, surprising, given the horns and the, the size of this dude. Uh, so that that kind of took me off, because I thought he was going to be reborn as some kind of a, a demon prince or something like that, and that didn't happen. So, And also the other thing I thought of is, okay, well, the basic story here is Gotrek Gunnarsson isn't the only named character to have survived the world that was. So interesting. Um, and uh, in this adoration of the game, you know, Sigvald doesn't have, you know, his 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 ass hanging out of his pants. So, or does he? Does anyone know? I mean, are, are, is, he, is he still running around with assless chaps and a butter knife killing people? He's got too big of a cloak on the back end of him. You, I don't know if you could see it. <laughs> no. It's probably it's Just, probably there. Uh, you I don't know. know if he does or doesn't, but I'm not going to tell him that he's wrong for it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That dude looks like he's ready to box. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny is because he, he he's got a he's got a pretty incredible backstory. I mean, um, and we know that this character has had a rebirth of sorts, right? I mean, he was abandoned. I, I'm I'm gonna botch the story up. So anybody tell me to shut up if they got a better version of it because I'm going off memory. But I know that he was abandoned by Slanesh. You know, he's basically cast off to the side. And in a mistaken use of magic, you know, as Nagash always seems to, ever since like sixth edition, Nagash has always been for this great necromancer sorcerer. He 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 could he could fuck up the recipe to ice cubes. This guy messes up magic in every storyline. I, I go all the way back to then. But Nagash released the souls of, of Ulgish, uh, not knowing that Sigvald was trapped in there somehow, and thus released, you know, Blondie back into the game. And and now this is where he's at. Um, am I right on that story or anybody can, can kind of correct me on that one or maybe make it sound more intelligent? No, you're, you're pretty close. That's pretty close. I I knew, I knew it was something like that. And they always got to tie poor Nagash in there, you know, either getting killed by the Skaven or screwing up some kind of a magic spell. But I mean, John thoughts, man, what, what, what are your thoughts here on old Blondie? So man, let me think for a sec. So he was trapped, and, and I, I feel bad because you're asking me about Sigvald, and then I'm like talking about the realms that he was in. He was no, in do it, Ulgish, man. which is the realm of Twilight, right? Is that right? Uh, yes, I think so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's not one of the realms that we can like select an army from. So kind of to Chuck's point earlier, like where do we go from here? What if they just start introducing more realms? Love it. Yeah, I mean, like, because if if there was this potential for all these souls that were locked in this. Uh, purgatory realm between the realm of light and shadow like i mean like who's who's to say that there's not another realm between life and death or uh the realm of fire and the realm of metal i mean i i think that's where we're getting to with this the books of the broken realms right is i think that's where they're going is they're showing the sub realms or the in-between realms kind of like you know stranger things kind of thing right but um most of the realms back lore wise were were formed when you had Draconoth running around and you had the god beast running around before they were eliminated by the sub gods, so to speak. You know, so if there are sub realms out there, there's only going to be a few people that are going to be able to get to them, find them, or know about them. And Sigvald might be one of them. 
for all we know. I, I like the I like what you touched on there, John. I mean, you know, Chuck. I mean, we, we kind of talked about this before one time. You know, just kind of lightly, we kind of we kind of talked about the expanding the realms and and how that would look. Uh, this could be the intro to that, don't you think? Yeah, it, and if we're looking at uh, that type of character now with the introduction potentially of the new realms and we have AOS 3.0 possibly next summer if we get this release they they feed into it with a few books or uh it could even be white dwarfs i mean we we have white dwarfs now that feature what 160 pages of information yeah and and yeah. then you get the taste of it with limited rules you can play it early or whatever, and then boom, you've got one, two, or three books that hit June, July, and that's when you've got the rest of your special rules and scenarios. I love it, man. And items. What if they released, you know, uh, one spell, one uh, item that you could pick from these realms or or lores, and then you get the other six abilities or pieces of terrain or special rules later on? There you so go. In order, yeah, in order to have all of the rules, Again, you're going to be buying the books. It's going to be feeding one into another. Okay, well, mm -hmm. let's stick with the here and now. And, and John, I'm going to pitch the ball to you on this on this next question I have, uh, kind of question statement kind of a thing. Because, Chuck, yeah. I'm going to piggyback off of what you just said, bud. So sure. uh, let, let's go with this with this Agony and Ecstasy box set. You know, I, I mean, re realistically, I, I'm actually more more interested in, in that, in the Agony and Ecstasy line of miniatures, really. At the, and, and if you think about what we have here with this with his vanguard of this army, you know this is this is the this was the release, and then of course the the secondary release that we just saw uh, last week, right? right. Um, the vanguard of Sigvald's army, I guess, are these uh, pain bringers. I, I don't remember their their the first portion of their name right now, uh, but um, what I love about this is I like how they they fail if they fail then, you know, in other words, if they don't really stay true to the pleasure of killing, they can make a pact with a demon and remove their helmet. And that's where you get like these demon heads where you get two different configurations of the same model. But um, I mean, I, I, I like the helmet heads better. But here's my point to what you just said about a realm in between two realms. This could pour into a storyline where even maybe the realms are in somewhat inseminated by other realms. It's almost like a, like a, not so much as a go-between, but almost like a, like a realm that's got a mixture of the ones that's in, it's 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 kind of impacted by or, or or so well to put it. I mean, if you look at even how these uh, this new army of of Slanesh units are coming out. I mean, what are your thoughts when you look at it from that realm of the units that are around Sigvald? Uh, I think the Myrmidon are some of the best looking models I've seen in a while. Myrmidish, that's what it was. I couldn't remember their name. Thank you. Yep, I I, I genuinely I really like it. Um, I, I think that Slanish Mortals has been something that people have been clamoring for for a long time. And now that GW has finally accepted, like, yes, this is what they want. We're going to give them what they want. And they've, they're, they're not half-assing it. Like, these models are beautiful sculpts. Yes. Like, these bows mm -hmm. are awesome. These swords are awesome. Their poses are dynamic. You see motion with them when they're just standing there. Mm -hmm. Like, you've got all these, like, you're, they're, they're tackling this, just grabbing the Sigvald by the horns. And they're just they're rocking and rolling with Mortal Slanish, and I I really hope that that's something that they formally put out for yeah. uh, for the player base. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I like the fact too. And, and guys, you know, tell me what you think, but I like the fact that Slanish appears to be moving away from the. And we all know that Slanish is the god of 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 of, of excess, right? We know that. Mm -hmm. 
But sure. I like the fact that they're moving away from the singular point of excess in, in the whole pervert thing. You know, I, I, I like the fact that, they're, that, that these miniatures look more like sleek chaos warriors, you know, and, and I like the fact that they're, you know, because here's the thing, a lot of people I've talked to, and I'm not trying to get all, you know, uh, serious here, but a lot of people that I've talked to want to play Slanesh, but I know one gentleman that, that is, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a teacher and, and uh, he plays in the game, but he basically says, I could never play that army with, with you know, the, the, the tits and everything flopping all over the place. He said, because, <laughs> if, it, well, think about it. If, if, let's say if, if one of his no. students, if one of his students happens to walk into the store and sees him, you know, hey, how you doing, Mr. Teacher? And next thing yeah. you know, it's like, so a lot of people have been rejecting that army based off of that. And when I saw these miniatures, all, all joking aside, I was like, hey, you know what? They're appealing to a broader base and that's good business too. So I, 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 I like the turn that Slanesh is making with, uh, with their new model line from, from, from all different aspects, I guess what I'm saying. Also, access uh, in a different way. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. How so? Yeah, and this, this, go ahead. Sorry. So I, I think that like these, these models, like when you see them, these dudes are ready to fight. Like they're bringing the pain so right. we're we're not going so much in the form of excess sexuality as much as these dudes are like here for excess bloodshed like they're like looking it. to take excess heads from your opponent yeah and i think that that's like that's good because that shows growth like mm-hmm. it shows growth in a this amoeba way out there god character and instead of them being just this static ever present we never change mode of like deity like he's he's growing he's learning okay well i can't stay with keepers of secrets anymore like i have to be able to have my people that can wear plate mail and with a tower shield and a flail love and it that's yeah. that's good that's that's just good storytelling good good chuck what were you gonna say bud i feel that you know this is a way for them to develop the slanesh storyline without overreaching into the uh the sexuality portion of this and instead of that's kind of piggybacking off of you right and without them uh getting too much over the top they can uh then dive also into a better model line that would be maybe even possibly split 50 50 with uh female and male warriors right yeah because slanesh would would not just be uh, the male side of beauty, but also like the female side of beauty. So sure. in right. those models that we're introducing, there are female models, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, that's a great point, Chuck. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. It is. Well, good stuff, man. Well, that's what we got for the news, man. We are going to be right back after the break with, uh, we're talking about list building one oh one with our guests. So we're going to be right back. Stick around. <laughs> Public service announcement brought to you by Frag Factory 3D Printing. Many of us have thousands of dollars in miniatures, yet we play on flat tables with books and overturned Tupperware to act as our fantasy and sci-fi landscapes. We've all drooled over the tables we see in magazines lush with beautifully created terrain from all genres. The crew at Frag Factory 3D Printing want to wipe that drool from your chin and put it firmly on your friends and fellow gamers when they see your setup. Alien landscapes, desert wastelands, futuristic cities, fantasy outposts, elven forests, demonic stronghold, and so much more. Find out what you've been missing by checking us out on Facebook at Frag Factory 3D Printing or send us an email at fragfactory3dprinting at gmail.com. Bring your own files or we will help you find what you've been searching for. 
Take your gaming to the next level with Frag Factory 3D Printing. We print life into your games. Tell them Grimdark Live sent you, and your first hour of printing is free. Hey gang, in all seriousness, get your terrain on the table and get it with Frag Factory 3D Printing. And remember, tell them Grimdark Live sent you, and they'll give you one hour free. You can get them via email at fragfactory3dprinting at gmail.com or their Facebook page, Frag Factory 3D Printing. Frag Factory 3D Printing. Printing life into your games. All right, we are back, and we are going to start talking about list building 101 with our uh, with our guests. So here it is, man. And you, know, and, you know, folks, I mean, here on Grimdark Live, we often bring up the topic of lists and list building and all that good stuff. But um, you would have heard us say something like, you know, in, in order to win, you need an army to, that can get to shit, stand on shit, and kill shit, you know. However, on, t- on tonight's show, uh, we, we're, we're going to be talking about list building. And the three main points that immediately come to mind, and, and John, this is your topic, so I'm going to kind of throw it out there and, and let you kind of get us going on this one. But the three, the three main points really come to mind are really a three-step plan uh for successful list building and this is what i think but i, w- I really want to get into what you think because you know, you're the guy that's that's winning tournaments man so <laughs> i think the first thing you'd have to do is come up with a plan or a goal the second thing would be add the best units to achieve that goal and then obviously cover your bases but that's a high level basic thing so so let's hear about it man let's talk about list building let's hear it okay so one thing that i think Every competitive, all right. So every player that is going to be participating in a tournament, the first thing that I think you need to do is you need to establish what your goals are. Because if your goal is to be a beer and pretzels player, then you don't need to be trying to bring just like giga heat and trying to five zero because that's not what you're here to do. Like you're here to have fun, hang out with your friends, play, just roll some dice, have some fun, and have some laughs. But at the same time, if your goal is that I'm going to a tournament and my goal is to win it, like that is what I'm going to be having fun doing is winning this tournament, then you have to understand that sometimes that means that you don't get to play the list you want to play. Like, yeah, that would have been really cool at Armed Forces Day if I could have showed up with like three turtles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Like you could have flew at somebody, promptly got wiped <laughs> off the board, and then like hang out in the two and three in the two and three bracket. Right. But the thing is, is that you have to like the first the first step is establishing what you want to do at the tournament that you're going to. So for instance, the, a good example that I'll give is like LVO. Okay. So last year at LVO, my, my goal was to win. I, I wanted, I wanted to win LVO. I wanted to win LVO coming out of my freshman year. I fell short, unfortunately. However, um, I learned a lot, but the thing is, is that if your goal or excuse me, if my goal being that I wanted to win LVO, that means that I don't get the luxury of saying, well, I'm going to take 13 sharks for instance, which for the record, after the Marathi changes, I do think is a legitimate list. Yeah. Just for the record. But <laughs> right. that being said, you you have certain limitations that you put on, put on yourself by saying my goal is to win, or my goal is to have fun, or my goal is to create a a D and D army like with five heroes all doing different things for a story. Like if if your goal is winning, then you severely change your mindset when it comes to it. Okay. And so for Ideneth, of course, this is, of course, the what I'm the most in tune with, I would say. But you have to approach it saying, what is the best thing that I can field going into this meta? And one of the one of the things that I try and tell people whenever I get asked, like, what would you give advice to uh, to a new player that's getting into into the game that wants to play competitively is 
you identify what your strength is as a player and then try and find an army that caters to that. Because if you are, let's say, let's say you're very good at chess, for instance, okay. you are very good at thinking analytically. You are very good at seeing fights before they are actually going to be fights. And you're very good at making trades. I wouldn't advise you to get put on something like, I don't know, shoot cast, for instance, or no offense, beast of chaos. Okay. Because you have the mindset as a player to be able to play a higher level army. You have, you, you have, you're bringing the mental game of a OBR player or Zinch or uh, Seraphon, for instance, like you're bringing the mentality that you know where the fights are going to be and you know how you can mitigate where you want the fights to go from that place. I see. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes, I mean, I like the way you put that. And, and what I'm hearing from, and then, you know, I'm sure Chuck and Justin want to throw their two cents in on this one too, but what I'm hearing you say as a deeper point to that, John, is uh, first you really you really need to know your army and your battle tone. Right. In, in order to establish that goal, in the comparison you made against Shootcast or, or, or Beast of Chaos, I mean, you know, read that, read that battle tome, read it often, you know, take notes if that helps. That's kind of what you're really saying to those people to establish that goal, right? Or am I reading too much into it? No, not in the slightest. See, that's that's the thing is that if you are knowledgeable about the tome that you are wanting to play, for instance, so if there there's a sub-level of I want to win, and then there's the, the, the sub-level of I want to win is like, I want to win with this army. Which, in my humble opinion, you can still be just as competitive as saying, like, my only goal is to win the tournament. I, I do think you can be, but the thing is, is that that requires a lot more investment from you as a player. Because it's very easy to crash a Ferrari. So <laughs> yes. Like, if you just get too much car that you're trying to field on the table and you just wrap that thing around a telephone pole, that's very easy to do. And yeah. if you're not knowledgeable enough to know how the army functions and how the army interacts with the, with the mission that you're playing and with the opponent's army and with how your opponent usually pilots their lists, if, you, if you're not in tune with that and you're not familiar with that, then you're going to just be doing yourself a disservice. I like the way you put that. I mean, Chuck, what, what do you have to say to that? What say you? Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I'm going to agree um, and I'll just kind of use this analogy. So as a player for too many years in this game, I have uh, played quite a bit. And I would say that uh, you can drive the Ferrari and you're going to spend a lot of money and a lot of time taking care of it. And you're going to have to take it to the dealership so that they can do the repairs on it because you don't know how to fix it. Or you can... Uh, take the uh, vehicle that's less traveled, like a stick shift, learn how to drive it, uh, have fun with it probably still, but it's not going to be as fun as the Maserati, right? And uh, so there are the players with the Maseratis, and they are, you know, it, it's almost like autopilot. It wins most of the time, and they're probably going to be in the top 10 tables or something like that. Uh, those people with a stick shift, they're there to have fun, drink beer and pretzels. They might go three and two, maybe four and one if they do it right. Um, but it's not necessarily that that five and oh list that uh, somebody's going to be pulling in with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. good analogy. I mean, Justin, what, what do you have to say to that when you talk about the, the, the first step of it is a goal? You guys already threw me under the bus with all these car analogies. Of the day. <laughs> Don't do it, man. I mean, Jesus. Do the car. Um, no, I, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't. I, it doesn't, it, my brain doesn't function that way. You know, 
I, I he, the way he's talking about the five and zero, and and yeah, there are lists and things like that yeah. that you were required to take to to do that kind of that kind of that kind of play style, and you have your you get your top tier. Um, you know, I'm not gonna say meta chaser because that's it's kind of a derogatory term in most in most patients, but you got your top tier person that they push their list to the extreme to where it's gonna win those matches. You got that secondary tier, like Chuck was saying, which is you know, the ones that are they're they're pushing as best they can for what they're but they they're there to play, but they're there to actually have some fun too. And then you get the beer and pretzels, like you're saying, you know, it it's one, it comes down like he was John was saying. It comes down to years of the years of knowledge that you put into the game. How much time you're going to study into your army, you know, not jumping around, not constantly switching out things of that matter. I'm guilty of switching out, you know, all the time. But usually, when I lock in on an army, I find the niches that a lot of people don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and because, and, and because I play so many variations of those lists and those armies, I find little tweaks. And a lot of times it scares people when all of a sudden, you know, you got three, you got three tanks roll up on the battlefield and they're hitting you on ones. Right. No, no, I, I get that. And yeah. you're like, and you're like, what, where the hell did that come from? And it's the chain of events that are hitting into it. So, you know, it, it, it's all, it's all determined. It's, it's the general more than the army and itself. We've, we've said that quite a bit before, of the, you know, of, yeah. of the game. Yeah. We've said that quite a bit you before, know? you know, it's the army or the, or the general and, you know, and, and to back to your, your point, Justin, your tier or Chuck, you know, your, 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 your point, as far as, you know, the, what you made, as far as talking about the, the, the different type of stick shift cars and go back to the Ferrari and all that kind of stuff. I think we can sum up the goal and move on to the next part here uh, mm. that, that I think John wants to make is, you know, uh, a, a good list is is not replaced by good gameplay. Period. I think that's what I'm hearing right, all you right. guys say, and that's establishing your goal. I mean, you, you can build the the mightiest, the cheesiest list in the world, and, and still lose if, still, if you're if you're playing poorly. So, gotcha. Yep. All right. So, 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 John, we got the goal out of the way. What's the next step in in successful list building? When did Noah build the boat? Did he build it when it was raining, or did he build it before it started? Be- raining? Before it started raining, yeah. So here's here's as where far I, here's as we know. As far as you know, this is the analogy that I, I always use this analogy when I talk about this, because once you establish what your goal is, now you need to establish how you're going to get to that goal, because there are different avenues to victory in terms of what your army can do and mm-hmm. what army you field and how you're going to actually score a W, whether you're going to strictly play the objective game or whether you're going to uh, be an absolute anvil that cannot be moved, or you are just going to become the dominant hammer blow somebody off the board and just capture points after they've conceded um the way that i explain it to people is you can build a chuck liddell list you can build a gsp list or you can build a khabib list you can aim to choke them out you can aim to not let them do anything that they want to do or you can just run at them and smash them off the board i like it those are your options and those are your three most common routes to victory you either beat them in in sheer raw power you beat them in defense or you just don't let them play the game. All right. And that's that. And, and you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to do what I did before. And cause I like what you just said, but I'm going to, I'm going to cut to the first part of that paragraph, John, that you just said, cause I, I, I really like what you said. So to me, to water, to, to boil all the water out of the pot, uh, is really to find the units in your army that can best accomplish that goal, right. That you, Correct. that you've established. I mean, uh, best in case will often mean that the, the highest amount of, of, of power for the, for the lowest amount of resources, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about. You know, what, what armies can we put in our, in, what units can we put in our army that are the least points that are going to do the most damage in, in, in some cases? 
but we, we also focus on when I say resources, what I mean by that is not specifically just points, but points are of course a resource, uh, but we must also consider the units and the abilities. So I, I get what you're saying. So you need to you need to apply the right units in order to achieve the goals that you have set out for that army. That, that's kind of what I'm hearing you say, right? That is true. But and see, that's oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. please go ahead. The the one thing that I always that I, that I see people doing quite often, and I, I just say this as a side point, is they they mistake the forest for the trees, and okay. they think that their victory condition is just tabling their opponent. And if they start losing models that all of a sudden, oh God, uh, they, they start spiraling out. They don't, they, they get inside their own head. They say, I can't win. This is going to be awful. I can't believe this. And that's just, that that's such a dangerous mentality to get into because the honest to goodness truth is that like you win these games based on objectives. You build your list so that you can score objective points. Yeah, that's yeah. how you're going to do it. How you choose to cross that bridge to score those objectives, that is your decision in list building. All right, yeah. so let me, let me ask you a question this with list building, and then I, I'm going to see what my what, what the compadres here, Chuck and Justin, have to say about this one. So I'm going to throw a question at you, because I really like what you're saying. So let's keep in mind this, though, John. Let, let's say a goal may not be achievable at the current points limit. Does your idea for list building accrue a thousand point list or a 1500 point list or a 2000 point list in this game. Do you think that your method of, of achieving that, that, that list building technique is applicable to any points limit in the game? I would not. Um, I, I actually, I wouldn't because when you start zooming the, or excuse me, when you start scaling the game down, power becomes multiplied. So for instance, in a thousand point game, you could bring 12 eels no, that you wouldn't be able to. Yeah, you just take three stacks. You could right. take 12 eels in a 1,000-point game, and there is very little in 1,000 points in any tome that will right. be able to break off 12 eels. So I, I think when you I like that you address down, that. Yeah. Yeah, when you start scaling down, I, I don't think that, that that's a safe... Uh, safe evaluation and, and you know and maybe one time we're gonna have you back on the show and we're gonna just and we're gonna we won't have a 37 minute intro but we're, we'll have you back on the show and we're gonna talk about uh building lists for for more smaller competitive lists i'd like to hear your point oh, on that for sure. Um, for sure but but i mean chuck justin you know let, let's what do you think about the conversation thus far as far as list building and what you what you've just heard anything to add <laughs> go ahead chuck uh, so um i'm gonna you know, go with John here and, and say that you do see some players that uh, when they show up to an event, their lists are uh, the beat stick army. It is meant to move as fast as possible across the table, whether it's a one drop, uh, it moves 20 inches in one turn, or it somehow special deploys onto the flank of the opponent mm -hmm. and traps them in like a boggle or a corner. And, and typically that's like a blender list. Right. So we're, we're looking at potentially taking the most efficient units to min-max that possibility in whatever build with whatever book. Um, I do think there is a legitimate point to his second uh, take, which is your like take-and-hold armies. Are they designed to uh, bunker and sit on an objective or in a corner and shoot or cast the enemy to death okay. and and typically cool, cool, cool. like that would be a tank army so like the old dwarves with war machines they're designed to just sit there and shoot you've got zinch currently which you know in the in the past and a couple months before covid it was uh cast 13 spells in one turn destroy the characters uh and sit on top of an object objective with uh the blues and pinks that would just uh, have 50 wounds and you can't kill them right 
And then we see uh, blends of that strategy, which I don't, I think people like to blend those strategies and take a mix of that, but I don't know necessarily if that is always the most efficient point wise with uh, armies that people take. All right. And and that was a good wrap up, Chuck. I like the way you put that. I mean, Justin, let's hear it, man. Well, I mean, going off of what, you know, John and, and uh, Chuck are saying there, there is, you know, the three primaries you, you have your, you have your smashers, your holders, and your defenders, you know, you've got, and I, and holders and defenders, I kind of, the reason I say those two terms is because there is a difference between a holder and a defender. Your, your smash armies are the ones that are going to be on you turn one. They're going to hit your lines or they're going to go, they're going to go gunning for your heroes to cut, to shut, shut down that, those abilities. Mm-hmm. That's your smashing army. So those are the ones that are specifically character hunting or getting into your lines so that they can't move. Yep. And you, you got, you know, you got your holders, which are the ones that are get on those are get on those objectives. Like we say, get on the shit, sit on the shit, don't move. Right. You know, that that's that's that particular unit or that particular army type, you know, and then you got the defenders. The defenders are the ones that can pretty much adjust to anything coming at them. And like Chuck was saying, OK, you got a flanker coming in. Yeah, the defender can adjust against that. You got a swift to target army coming across the table. The defender can go against that. And there are armies that can do that. But they're very few and far between and very difficult to play. They're one of those really extreme tactical armies that require a lot of mental fortitude because you're going to lose shit but you and you know you're going to lose shit, but you're not letting your opponent get to where they need to get. No, and, 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 I, and I, 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 think, I think you make a great point there. And I think you know, what we're summing up here is, is the, 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 covering, the, the covering all your bases, right? I mean, and, and we're right. going to be talking that's, that's about this. Covering, that's the covering your base armies. Yeah, basically. I mean, it, it's kind of like, like what I heard uh, John say earlier. I mean, you know, you, you got to take the meta into consideration. I mean, if your meta right. has a lot of strong horde armies, it's going to be wise to pack plenty of anti-horde units. I, 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 we, we get all right. that, but, but kind of rounding see, what, okay, go ahead. I was just going to say the other, the other side of when John was saying building down in power and building down in points. Personally, I've been in this hobby for so long that I think if you can build a stalwart 500 point list, thousand point list, 1500 point list, 200 point list, in all honesty, it doesn't matter what the power of a 12 eel army is. Well, because let me. Let me, say have that ability. let me say something to that, and then, John, we'll close this out with what you think on what I just said. I mean, what you're saying right there is really going to be the hardest to nail down, period, yes. in, in, yeah. in, 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 in any type of list, any point level. And and people will often, that I've seen, are going to overcompensate when they feel unsure about their primary strategies, which is which affects their list, which isn't always a bad thing, I would say. I would just say to those people, make sure that you can still win if you decide to dedicate the majority of your points to, say, uh, uh, countering other lists. I mean, did, did I, John, did I, did I put that out there okay? I'm, I'm trying to kind of shore together and sum up what Justin and Chuck were saying, but that's kind of what I'm hearing. Did that make sense I, to you? I, yeah, I, th- I like it. So the one, one thing, and when I, when I made the point of trying to not let your opponent do what they want to, to Justin's point, I, I think that would probably be more of the defender type. And when I, when I hear defender, the first thing that comes to my that comes to my mind is like a toolbox army. Like you have different units that can do different things at different times in the game. And you can, and it's all about how you as a pilot utilize them um, in their personal strengths in that actual war scroll. And one, one thing that I'll say, and it's the biggest thing that I see with people who play alpha strike armies, because the most common misconception that I hear is that alpha strike armies are hammers. And I actually don't agree with that. I don't either. Mm -hmm. 
I think, and, the, and I can't take credit for this. This actually comes from Joe Pagano, one of the gentlemen that I got to talk to at NashCon last year. Ideneth specifically, Ideneth isn't a hammer. They're a scalpel. It's all about knowing when you can strike and when you can pull their units. Because if you try and treat fish like a hammer, you're going to lose way more games and you're going to win. Right. But right. if you're calculating and you know your opponent's list and you know what their linchpins are and you can pull those easily, that's how you get Ws. All right. I like it. I like it. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is, and, and folks, if you kind of come this far in our, in our conversation, and obviously the show is running a little long, we'll probably take you into about, you know, 930 Central Standard Time, so hang with us. We got, a lot of, we got another great topic to peel off this one that's coming up here soon. But if you've come this far, I guess the one thing I'll say is, you know, if you're unable uh, to feasibly achieve your goals with, with what you have, it, it may be time that that goal is more broad or narrow. And I think that's what you're hearing the guys here on the show, you know, you know, you know, John and the rest of the guys say, I mean, once you once you do, you know, um, you know, try and, until you feel confident and comfortable with what you have. I mean, if, if, if you're already out there, um, you know, if you're already out of points, maybe, and, and you might want to, you know, reconsider what you what you need to achieve your goal. But I, I think I think you're never going to come up with that that list the first time. I mean, you might catch lightning in a bottle, but keep keep at it. And the other thing, of yeah. course, John, back me up on this, man. The most important thing is always remember step zero in this whole thing: have fun and learn always something. Charging. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> ABC spoken like oh. a true tournament champion. ABC right. always be charging. <laughs> I can't so, take credit for that either. That's Nick True, unfortunately. Yeah, I, that, oh, that's a, that's Nick. an old one. So here's here's let, let's wrap it up with this one. Uh, you know, what would be your 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 final advice for list building, John? Let, let's let's close this topic out and, and and move on to the next one with with some with some final advice. Final advice for list building: um, Don't mistake the forest for the trees. Um, the, I, I would say that you approach the tournament with realistic expectations go at it to have fun in the way that you want to have fun and you'll have a good time all right good one good one fellas real quick anything to add before we roll on no we're good i i would say realistic expectations it you know go in have fun uh don't be disappointed this is a dice-based game and Try and meet some freaking people and have some fun. Socialize. Yeah. My goodness. There yeah. are too many people take it way too serious. They not get crappy and pouty and you never see them again. You, you know, know so... and that happens. But, you know, I would say what, what cures that is consistency, you know, and, and that kind of feeds sure. into better list building, too. I mean, play play dozens and dozens and dozens of practice games. You know, come out up to one yeah. of our war meets, man, where every other Saturday. Um, you know, uh, play the scenario, get to know those scenarios because there's only so many of them and you know, the tournaments are only going to use so many of them, but get to know those scenarios, play them, uh, know your deployment strategy. You know, they always say that 50% of a game is won or lost at the deployment stage. So know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the thing is the, the, the best unit doesn't always mean the most powerful. You know, right? I just think we just heard John just say that. I mean, in, in, in a much better way than I just said it, of course. But I mean, it doesn't mean that that's always the best powerful unit. And, um, and, when, and, and also... When you go to a tournament, uh, and, and, and gang, John, back me up on this. When you go to a tournament, the only consistent is your list. The mission type, the right. deployment type, the opportunity mm-hmm. army, you know, the, or the opponent's army, are only three other variables. I mean, you, you, yep. know, you, you need to know what your army play will be with, with each combination, each scenario. So you got to practice, and I think that's also going to help. That's the innate thing off there in the ether that's going to help you build those lists. Did, did I sum I it think, up well enough? 
you, you really did. And that actually, yeah. that that is the biggest thing that really incentivized me to play Sigmar as opposed to Magic. In that, if anybody's played Magic, they know that you can play your hand perfectly. You can get three lands, four spells, you can do everything the way you're supposed to. And then you can still lose just by drawing four lands in a row. And that's the <laughs> worst feeling in the world because yeah. you know at your core that you did everything you could correctly and it still didn't matter. And the guy just top deck teferi and just like blew you off the board and that's the reason that i really like what the way that sigmar is is that like you just said there are consistent i field all of my fish you field all of your baby seals and then we go to beating each other right and there we go and that's and yes of course there's dice and there's a variable in, incorporated wow. of course yeah but yep. that's the thing is that you know what you have in terms of resources so yeah absolutely 100 percent. i love it mm -hmm. i love it and folks you know stick around because this next topic is going to peel right off of our list building we're going to be talking about micro versus macro game assessments and and john's going to stick around with us and and, uh, and and get us more information on that so we'll be right back Hey gang, I wanted to take a break in today's show to introduce one of our sponsors and a great store for all of your hobby needs. That's GameStorm Gaming in Lamont, Illinois. Open seven days a week, 12 to 12. GameStorm Gaming has got you covered for all of your hobby and gaming needs. They got Magic the Gathering, War Machine, X-Wing, Game of Thrones, Force of Will card game, PC gaming and repair, Warhammer 40K, and Age of Sigmar, and a ton more. Grab paints, brushes, cases, dice, and a lot more at GameStorm Gaming in Lamont, Illinois. Stop in and see John and the gang there at GameStorm Gaming, located at 1243 State Street, Lamont, Illinois, or check them out on their website at GameStormGaming.com. Again, that's www.GameStormGaming.com. They also stay open past midnight for special cases and events, so get over there and get your nerd on with GameStorm Gaming. 1243 State Street, Lamont, Illinois, 630-243-9330. Again, that's GameStorm Gaming, 1243 State Street, Lamont, Illinois. GameStorm Gaming is a proud sponsor of Grimdark Live. We hope to see you there. Micro versus macro. We are uh, we are back, and we're going to be getting into our last topic uh, here for the evening before we get to the question of the day here later on in the show. And and and, and honestly, as I said before the break, you know, I feel that as though this topic is the natural next onion layer, if you will, to peel off from from the list building topic that we just talked about earlier here on the show just a few minutes ago. We ended that one. Um, and this is an interesting topic, as this is something uh, I you know I. I believe is is isn't really well enough touched on in in our game as a topic and i love the fact that that when you know john and i were talking you know before he came onto the show you know hey what do you want to talk about what do you want to do you know you're a great player what do you want to do? and he said you know i want to touch on micro versus macro as a game assessment and i went that is something i've always wanted to try to describe and talk about on the show because if you think about it people you know people try to john back me up on this people try to apply this oftentimes in today's world to video games but we all know that this concept came from early tabletop games games like you know squad leader and chess and checkers and all those other tabletop games that have now led into our plastic dolly love affair game now so here we go i mean john 
I'm going to pitch a ball to you. You tell me if I'm if I'm correct on my first assessment. Why don't we break this down into let's talk about micro first and with the sure. concept of that one. And I mean, uh, and, and all right, here, here's here's my management coming out of me. Micromanagement. Micro is short for micromanagement. I mean, it refers to the level of granular and specific control a user has over a game or the units on the tabletop. John, it's That's you, correct. buddy. Lights on. Yep. All right. So um, when I reference micro versus macro, what I mean by that is um, effectively understanding micro victories versus the large victory. So okay. you, this game is all about making trades. It's all about making trades up. So for instance, a pack of a Akelian Alapex is 110 points. When I put that into my list, I want that Alapex to be able to do at least 110 points worth of damage to my opponent. If he has done that, he is worth his 110 points, and anything more than that is gravy. Right. So when I say that I'm looking at something from a micro perspective, uh, first, is before we go into macro, with something that I pride myself in more a little bit in uh, regards to micro, when I say to evaluate something in a micro sense, what I mean by that is this look at each individual fight and where each of your models is going to be where they can be and where your opponent's models can be because there's one thing when a set of eels runs into a set of ard boys there are things that are consistent your scrolls they're not changing the ard boys are buffed out the wazoo they got the big wog going the eels are on the charge the ren to damage to those things don't change they are what they are yeah however when you zoom out just a little bit, you say, okay, well, I've got my three eels here, here, and here. He's got 10 Ardboys strung like this. He's going to get a three-inch pile in after it goes to his activation. How do I want to negate the most damage that he can do to me by being activated first with my eels, for instance? So when it comes to your activation, for instance, instead of swinging wide, and Justin, I think this happened this happened on in our game when I swung the eels and I went them long ways and I could hop the line. That's a micro decision that not a lot of people understand because yes, your bases don't change size, but they can change direction, which yes, that sounds like something John Madden would say. I understand that. But <laughs> when you can understand that you have a base 14 inch move and you have this much mobility to play with, you can turn them long ways to get them into an area where you need to, to be able to pull out a hero, which is exactly what they're good at doing. And so I think that's uh, the very first point that I would make uh, before I toss it back to you um, in terms of how to evaluate a fight on a micro sense. Yeah, and, and, and I like what you said. And again, I'm going to try to digest it and throw it back to the, my compadres here to see what they have to say. And, and Justin, I might pitch it to you first. Uh, but uh, but to me, listen to what you said, John, is a good way to, to sum up micro play uh, as, as we lead into this discussion a little bit more. Uh, though micro play, you know, does hold a, a prominent role in, in, in self-improvement as a gamer. It, it only plays a minor role in achieving victory on the tabletop. That, that I, I see more of it being an improvement piece to that gamer as, as an underlining tone of what you were, what you were saying. I think that the, the user's skill, when we talk about micro, right, I think the user's skill and ability to, you know, to granularly control a hero or, or other games units define that user's micro skill, which is kind of what I heard you say in re even in reference to your game against Justin, which I thought were excellent, excellent points. Um, you know, Justin, what do you have to say to that? Um, see, I'm of a different mindset when it comes to micro macro is I don't think it actually sits in our game. Um, and the, the reason I say this is because 
and I'm going to use the point with your eels where you're saying the base size and everything else, you have a long side and you have a short side because you can rotate the base. That is good and all in terms of tactics. And you can consider that as a micro if you want, but you have to be very cautious of how you use that simply because if you turn the base long ways, you can easily over measure, you know, if you turn it short ways, you could not just cheat. You could cheat yourself or cheat your opponent by the way you twist that base because it could take you outside of your actual movement radius. Mm -hmm. So, the big problem I have with it is that we're not playing an active turn cycle game. We're not going it's we're not going at the same time. So when you're micromanaging Are you talking about he goes, I go you like the old way? No, 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 no. I'm talking we were if we're going exactly at the same time. Okay. I mean okay. he's moving, right. I'm moving the piece, we're rolling dice at the same time. That's where micromanagement and macro management more is more apt because you look at it in terms of a video game like you were saying, Pat, with the Starcraft and things of that matter. There's a lot of micromanagement, macromanagement, because you're constantly shifting spots on the battlefield and you're, okay, what's happening here? What's happening here? And, and things like that. We're in a turn-based game. He moves his pieces. He does his work. I move my pieces. I do my work. And we counter each other the best we can based upon the movement of the other player. Okay. Um... You don't know what's going to happen. And what throws all of that into a problem is one little piece, a die six and a possibility of a double turn. Okay. Let, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Cause I want to come back to that uh, in reference to what you said. Uh, but Chuck, what, what are you, what are your thoughts on, and we're talking about micro right now, as far as, as far as a gameplay um, and, and kind of piggybacking off the points that John made, what are your thoughts on that? So I would sort of uh, look at the micro play as far as what the player can do on a phase by phase level within the game itself. So we're talking about in a specific phase, what are you going to do to try and minimize or maximize the impact of a decision by what you can do prior or uh, before? for your opposition, or if you have to make the, the decision first in order to put your player in a position that they would then have to react to it. Okay. Um, and the one situation uh, that I can think of was possibly when I was playing uh, Brendan uh, Melanek again at, uh, I forget which event it was. It may have just been at like Armed Forces Day two okay like a year I think, yeah, I, think the, I think he played at armed forces day one i'm not sure he was at two but or anyway. one maybe it was one and i think it was his vampire count list or or vampire list with uh multiple dragons in it okay against my generic order list with a bunch of large monsters in it and i think this is when i had the large lizardman monster in it uh like six of the long range uh shooter guys from sigmar uh, long range strike uh the bow guys well and yeah in in my macro deployment i deployed wrong in some of my micro decision making i uh decided correctly but it wasn't enough it ended up coming down to you know dice deciding my fate but uh you know in my defense on my counter charges i made um i forced brendan into uh committing certain units to certain monsters which he killed anyway 
um, because my dice were horrible and, and he got the charges that he needed. But regardless, um, some of his decisions to uh, move his units a certain way in order to get more units to charge in against me was, I think, a good micro decision okay. that I didn't see. Then, then let me let so, me let me kind of touch on this because I want I, I heard what you said, Chuck, and I heard what you said, yeah. and I, and I and I agree with certain points of what each one of you said, but I want to kind of wrap it around to the micro play here. And and, and John, I'm going to pitch it back to you again, just to kind of keep it going before we get on to macro. Sure. I believe that that micro and macro as far as the game is played now in this tabletop game, do have a presence. And, I'm, and I respect what you said, Justin, but I think that they very much have a, a presence in this game. And I'll explain why. Because if you understand the strengths and the weaknesses of your hero or your units, that's that's crucial to micro play, regardless of any D6 or chance or anything that happens in the game. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example. For instance, if you're playing, say, a Frost Lord on a Stonehorn, uh, understanding its attack speed, positioning, etc., the deployment areas or charge positioning, etc., uh, and, signi- and, and significance to other units or enemy units fits under micro play. That that doesn't really have much to do with the chance of the game or or, or, or anything like that. And I do think that micro and macro equals tactics. It's 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 a it's a it's a recipe piece of tactics. Um, I think, and, and I can understand where you're coming with it, where maybe you don't really see it as, maybe you think that they're replaced, the tactics are somehow expunged through the, the dice game chance or through the ability to maybe not not get a, a, a second turn or, you know, lose lose a initiative role. So I get that. But I, I think there's more to it than that. And in my opinion, you know, these type of make ma- uh, micro uh, play requ- you know, requires only simple mechanical skill. I think the concept of the game or how the game itself is built is is somewhat irrelevant. However, understanding your your hero's units and scenarios and and other specific attributes and effects um, are not that simple. So I respect even what you and Chuck both said, but I want to roll it back to to a question here to John. Uh, Speaking of macro play, John, you know, can can we master it? Can we master micro play? Not macro, micro play. Can we master that? you can, and Justin made a point that, and I, it was something that I hadn't thought about when I was making my notes, in that, of an aspect of mastering your microplay is also mastering an understanding of like what your units are capable of doing, right? And that's not something that you actively do in a game. That's something that you do just with raw math, like that's rolling thirteen dice a hundred times and saying like, okay, I did this much damage, right? Out, like understanding the law of averages. Average. Right, and yeah. and that to to Justin's point, like that's something that you don't immediately introduce when you come up and you start saying like, okay, well, here's my army. I'm going to make sure I make these correct decisions. Right, because you can make the right decision. What, what's the what's the saying? My um my plan was well calculated, but damn, am I bad at math? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, yeah, but, yeah. Another <laughs> yeah. way I've I've heard that put is a, is a is a good plan and play is better than a perfect plan on the table. Right. So. And, and I'm not trying. I'm not trying to come across as the ass here and say that no, no, you no, know, no. and say that that you know there isn't that, but there. The, the, the statistic or the stat, the static side of things where John was saying you have your battle plan which or your, your battle tone, which never changes, things like that. The problem is that all of that information does change. Okay. All right. Then, then let, let me let me let me let me piggyback where you, where you just said, Justin. Because I, I we get FAQs and we get other things that do change our numbers, they do change our math, and they do change the way the unit is supposed to be used or it can be used yeah. because they 
they tweak a rule. But that's a so, that's a function of the gameplay itself. We know that going right. into this game. But here's, right. here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. So we, it just Sorry. it just dawned on me just now between you and Chuck, you got you know you Justin are probably more of a macro type player where maybe you don't really and, and this is a real thing. Um, and, and Chuck, you, you, I've seen you play, you're, you're probably more of a micro type player, you know, and it just really has to do with, 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 with your habits and, and your, your structures of it, but you're making good points, Justin. And, you know, here's the thing, you know, we, we're, we're going to have our, our, our opinions and our thoughts on it, but I think after knowing the way you play, yeah, you probably don't really look at it that way. Cause you're, you're more of a, you're more of a, a macro type player. And let's get into that for a second. Let's keep, let's keep the topic rolling. I'm, I'm a tactician. Well, I, I, I mean, I look at I look at the battlefield and where does my where do my pieces need to be, and damned how I'm going to get there. Well, and that's and that's why um, I said you seem to be more of a macro type player because and and, and John backed me up on this because when I say macro macro management, this refers to a higher level of strategic game yep. considerations. You yep. know, when you talk about strategy, like you just said, John, or I mean, uh, uh, Justin, is uh, the the player's game strategy to win, including issues such as planned attack sequences, game style, and, and building development progressions, things like that that happen in these scenarios that you're referring to, Justin. Those are your words. Yeah. But you can't excuse micro and macro in this game because of those situations at the same breath. So I'm going to throw it over to John again. John, explain, talk to us about macro now, macro as far as this game. So when when we're when we're discussing like a, a macro decision and approaching your match from a macro decision, mm-hmm. or excuse me, from a macro standpoint, what what I mean by that is this you and it, it kind of harkens back to the first point that I made and I, I inadvertently made the point then instead of now and that you're looking to make trades like you're looking to understand my army can be here it's called like like relational power or rational or not rational power excuse me um, relative power and like right. relative coverage like where can I be where can my army be without being overextended and you see the map for what it is you say like okay my opponent is here my stuff is here I can go this far he can go this far and you say to yourself double turn be damned of course sure. double turn throws double turn throws everything into a loop but that being said when you're trying to just play as if it was going to go uh me chuck me chuck me chuck you can say well if I move my army to or if I move this hammer to here and then I can assume that my opponent will see me moving here. He's going to want to try and counterplay with what will either be a anvil or his hammer. He will move to here. And then you need to start saying, before you even make that first move, how are you going to counter his move that he made in response to yours? Yep. So you need to be thinking ahead two steps, which is just like that's critical to chess, which is that's that's the bread and butter to it. That, is that's you understand strategy. where the fight is going to be and then how you're going to win that fight when it happens there. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the method to the madness that's right. how you win games and see that's in and to justin's point the macro understanding how to approach a game and win from a perspective that's your steak that's your porterhouse your micro play that's your mashed potatoes and your brussels sprouts and your greens that's right. the sides those are the things that complement you playing well on a large scale yeah and and, and i'm and, and justin i'm going to compliment you here on this too and back up what 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 john just said because a, I've, I've had the luxury of playing games with you for how many freaking years now? A long time. God. So yeah. you you are definitely a macro type player, whether you like to admit it or not. Because let, and, and John, here here's I'm going to piggyback off what you just said. Objectives, right? Macro would be would be understanding your your placements, like you just said, which are incumbent upon objectives because objectives are the bread and butter of Age of Sigmar. Period. You know, taking objectives can obviously lead to a massive advantage. In, in your favor, you know, let's not forget that, that, that they're required to win the game now. So 
knowing when you can secure an objective or or to take out a particular enemy unit is a key concept of strategy that you were referring to, Justin, uh, which is which is macro gameplay. Am I right on that, John? Yeah, I think the one thing that's even harder than that is knowing when you shouldn't go for an objective. Okay. Because yeah. that is that's what separates the men from the boys, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yep. Because if you go if you pull the trigger too soon, everything can fall to pieces just at the seams. And that takes discipline, that takes knowledge, and that takes practice. Yeah. And that is that's just not something you learn in a book. That's something that you learn from getting your face caved in a <laughs> hundred times playing a list. That's really oh, yeah. how you get it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck, I mean, what are your thoughts on macro, man? Yeah, I you know, the the macro is gonna kinda hover around that uh turn to turn management. Um Maybe not necessarily. I mean, I, you could even scale it down to, to phase by phase because some of those phases are drawn out. When you've got 9, 10, 12 units in combat, you know, really knowing which units to activate at certain times uh, can be critical. The micro could be just moving the certain unit or models uh, as you advance in the way to prevent your opponent from doing something else. Right. And uh, I, I will agree, there's going to be a difference between. Playing against someone who has had the same list for 50 games and somebody who brings one and they've only played five. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I want to round out, too, you know, John, you actually touched a point that I hadn't even thought of when, when we're talking about macro uh, gameplay. And, and that's that's timing in gameplay. And, and, yeah, I would say timing is probably the most advanced skill a player can have, probably more than anything. And mm-hmm. um, I think that that really is a good way to sum up macro, right? Yeah, especially on scenarios that have sequential scoring or scoring based on rounds. Right. Like there's so if the 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 example that I always give that I see new Ideneth players do all the time is they're like, oh, I've got twelve eels in the ether sea. That's awesome. I'm gonna deep strike them on turn one, and I'm like, why? They're like, well, yeah. I could kill this. I'm like, okay, well, what did you gain from that? Like, yes, you killed you killed six uh, Gorgruntas. Right. Okay, that's good. Like, congratulations. That that warrants. That's a success. Yes, it is. But what have you done to advance yourself towards winning the game? Okay, well, that brings up a question for me then for you, John, is what happens now? I mean, we, we know where we're going. You get to 12, so you get to 12 eels on the ether sea and all that sitting there. They come in turn two, turn three. They take the objective on an escalating scale, and all of a sudden, a mega gargant that's worth 30 wounds walks over and just takes it away from them in turn four. I mean, so, how, 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 where you don't see it coming in well, most, most respects or something of that. It, it's because it's a, it's a fair question. They throw all these. They threw all these new monkey wrenches into us with the with the objective secure, basically, and large gargants. Okay, it, it really did. So, so John, how would you answer that? So, I think that actually touches on something that I really like to talk about, which is called like the Trinity of Relevance theory. <laughs> and what I what I mean by that is, I think that in order for a list to be productive, you need to be able to reliably participate in three phases at least. Seraphon does that in the form of the hero phase, the movement phase, and the shooting phase. Okay. KO, kind of the same thing. Fish, don't ask us about our hero phase. We check for boats and then we're done. We we go in the movement phase, in the charge phase, and in the combat phase. As long as you can be relevant in three areas, then your opponent is going to have a very difficult time stapling you down to all three of those areas. And because of that, once you establish which one of those three phases you have free reign in, that's how you can actually start to play around your opponent. So to Justin's point, he says uh, a Gargan's going to run over and take a point. That's fair. That's one model, though, and he's going to take one objective. Okay, that's fine. 
how many scenarios do we have that only have two objectives in the game? Not many. Right. So no. that means that if he's going to allocate that Gargant worth X amount of wounds and X amount of damage to one area, I'm probably just going to have to run like Ishlayan guard at him that are immune to rend and are just going to sit there and try and tank. And then the Morsar go somewhere else on the board and utilize their damage, their mobility, and their presence okay. somewhere else. I really like what I use. And let me, let me sum up this point so we, we can kind of keep rolling. Because I got one more sub piece I want to talk about when we talk about macro gameplay. So here's what we've heard so far when we've looked at micro and macro gameplay. And, and, and John, I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to steal that phrase from you. The Trinity, say that one more time. It's the Trinity of, or excuse me. What? <laughs> we've worn him He's out, complete. folks. You did wear it out. All right. It was the Trinity of Relevance. Theory. All right. Trinity of Relevance. I'm, yeah. I'm writing that down. Okay. So, but he, he, here, let, let's wash this out of the pot. So we, we've got, we've got, we talked about micro and macro gameplay I mean, as far as mechanics. We talked about unit and hero management. We talked about scenario mm -hmm. awareness. We talked about uh, timing of gameplay, right? We, we talked about that. Um, but now I want to talk about something that I, I like to do. Well, let's blur the lines here. All right, John, I'm going to throw this. I'm going to, I, I, I really love the, the points that you're making. Okay. You know, you, you know, and folks, for everyone out there listening, you know, you, you, you may have noticed that, that, you know, you know, we've, we've had a few uh, important topics that, that, that we've not discussed yet amongst a lot of things that we've just rattled off. So in some aspects of the gameplay cannot be broken down into simply just micro or macro only. And these, you know, th there's a topic of secondaries, kill points submissions in the scenario and that's kind of what i've heard justin and chuck kind of kind of touch on a little bit in some of their uh comments and, and things like that about micro and macro gameplay but when we talk about these submissions and scenarios and, and these 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 blur the line pieces uh you know in the olden days we we, we called these uh creep scores you know in in, in old rank and plank yes. you know uh, days um these are the areas of blurred lines between micro and macro gameplay so let me let me let's go here so kill points is a good example of where micro and macro are, are blurred together in gameplay and, and and at what point in the game or with or with what unit should you achieve that last hit on an enemy unit to wipe them out um is an important uh, part of the of, uh, is i would say is an important part of micro play but the artifact on a hero or the ability that's placed on a unit is a good use of macro play i mean it, it, would that be a, a good way to kind of you know, talk about how those things are kind of brought together, kind of blurring the lines on that, John, or how would you kind of, how would you emphasize that point that I was trying to make? Yeah, I would say that's probably fine. Um, I think auxiliaries play a very interesting role in the way that AOS is played competitively right now, because I think you've got two very distinct mindsets to it. Sure. In that you can be a, like you, you want to full cap somebody on, on turn one, or excuse me, in battle round one. So if your goal is that you want to 5-0 an event, I'm going to highly advise that you look to try and complete all of your secondaries. Because I have seen people multiple times get caught out of top eight because they didn't score two secondaries in two different rounds. And so if you're, and, and to your point, Pat, if your goal is to 5-0, then you need to at list submission when you start saying, this is, these are going to be my seven secondaries, for instance. You have to establish and say, like, can I logically achieve all of these or six of these? Five, ten, whatever. Can I logically achieve six of these regularly against about any list? Because if you can, then you're in a good spot, and that's a good macro decision. Sure. If you can't, then you actually just need to establish and say, like, okay, well, is my goal that I'm just going to try and 5-0 and just hope to God that I beat them on kill points? Right. Because right. that's a very, very very dangerous line to walk okay mm -hmm. 
All right. And, I, as we saw at Armed Forces Day with how close the points were in the top six. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yes, we yep. did. All right. So, so as a side note, before we, before we uh, wrap wrap this one up and and, and get to the um, uh, get to the question of the day, honestly, John, how did you feel the comp- that the competition was? I mean, it was a smaller tournament, but did you did you feel that you had good gameplay in that tournament? I am confident that the players were very good. Okay. Um, All right. We had a very good turnout at Armed Forces Day. Good. Um, Thank you. More more so than just the like the player skill, though. I think it was just a testament to the community that we were able to get that many good players out for a for a charity event. Right. Because right. that can be hard for Spikes to get motivated for. Because like telling a Spike like or like Spike Timmy Johnny, of course, that's the sure. magic terms. You tell a Spike like, hey, we're gonna go to LVO and we're gonna like try and rock this out. That's easy to get behind. That's awesome. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're ready to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. ATC, let's do it. Uh, Adepticon, let's do it. But you tell somebody like, hey, let's go to a charity event and we're gonna go and we're gonna like have fun and we're gonna try and win. That's not as easy but sure. and then we show up at a armed forces day and there's just like players for days like tanya scribe for instance like she showed up with flesh shooter courts i wanted i had zero interest in that none i did not want any part of what she was bringing to she's a hell of a player she's really she's good. a monster yeah yeah, yeah she's, she's very she's good awesome. and she's always been a good player by the way yes so yeah well good stuff all right guys we're gonna be right back with the uh, with the question of the day and we're gonna uh we're gonna continue putting uh poor john here on the spot with that one so we'll be right back with the question of the day stick around Hey gang, I really hope you're enjoying the Grimdark Live show so far. Thanks for being with us. But before we get to the question of the day, I want to ask you to head over to GrimdarkLive.com to enter the Nerd Bunker by becoming a supporter of the show on Patreon. There are six different levels to fit the support you may be interested in, and all provide special benefits and services to our members. So please head over to GrimdarkLive.com and become a patron of the show. And while you're on GrimdarkLive.com, you should know that Grimdark Live isn't just there for entertainment. We're a full-time miniatures assembly and painting service. We have three different levels that we currently paint to, and we provide free quotes. So let us know if you have something you need painted, and we'll get it done for you. And if Patreon or painting isn't something you're ready to do at this time, we totally understand. And thank you for spending time with us here on Grimdark Live. So with that said, let's get to the question of the day. All right, we got the question of the day. That's uh, that's it's upon us. So we're gonna get this rolling, man. We're gonna throw this out to our uh, our guest first, man. So here it is, man. You ready, John? Here's the question of the day. So when does a player know that they've played out an army and it's time to move on? So I think there's. There's two answers for this. Um, the answer that my gut, when 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 you first asked me that question, the, my, the first answer that I assumed was, or the first question, or the answer I thought of, was the Bruce Lee quote in that you you always absorb what is useful and you discard what is not, right? And then you add what is uniquely yours. And what I mean to say by that is, I think you should always try and continue to be a student, always be learning, because if you stop learning, you're not progressing, and if you're not progressing, then you're dying. And that's like not it. where you want to be as a player. No, I like it. Now, the counterpoint to that is this. And this is the hard one. And this, this is the hard part to explain to people, especially when you see like that fire, like that passion to be competitive in somebody's like in somebody's eyes. If they're consistently going like one, four, two, three, and they can't crest that like three, two, four, one, five, oh, with one army, 
I think that might also be an answer to the question when you should probably consider you need to evaluate, is this the army that I should be playing? To the very first point that I made, find an army that suits your personality as a, as a player. Because mm -hmm. if you're, if you're a, if you're a go-getter and if you are just always wanting to be on the attack, I'm not going to want to say that you should play Nurgle. Like don't play Blight King Bomb. Don't play Fire Slayers. That's mm -hmm. not the kind of army for you, man. Right. Right. All right. I like it. I like it. All right, Chuck, to you, man. When does a player know that they've played out an army and it's time to move on? I think it's going to be when a when a player is not having a good time playing the army that they're playing. It's not entertaining. It, they're getting no satisfaction out of the the play style or the models that they're painting. I I think it's honestly just time to move on. Uh, there are some armies that people want to play because of the aesthetic, how the models look. Right. Um, you know, for instance, with the Sons of Behemoth that just came out. There are people who just love giants. They want to play it. They're going to pick up a couple expensive models and have fun playing them. And they may not be necessarily competitive, but they're having fun doing it. Right. There could be a release in six months that uh, is super competitive that they've wanted to play. They really don't care if it's competitive, but it's models they want to paint. Now, it, it's still a good reason to, to play. Um, you don't have to have, I think... Uh, like you know a certain loss or win a category or ratio but just make sure that you're having a good time playing uh and be motivated to have a fun time with the opponent that you're playing against yeah i love that i love that i mean if i had to ask myself that same question you know when when does a player know uh that that they've played out an army and it's time to move on you know for me that's always a hard thing because i, I get attached to things and but I, and and here even on a show and one of my core beliefs is the social contract of gaming. And one of the reasons that I love the Beast of Chaos is because I have a great story behind it. You know, I, I started the army, uh, 7th edition, when nobody said it was a winning army, and, and I've had a great time with it and winning. And I love the the backstory. So when I get out on a table and I'm able to play somebody against uh, with, with my Beastie Boys, win, lose, or draw, I'm, I'm telling them a great story, a passionate story. And a lot of times, you know, they, they've, they've seen that come through, and I love the interest that they have. And for me, you know, I've lost, you know, plenty of games with the Beast of Chaos, but I think you play them and you play that army because there's some innate connection that you have with those plastic little dollies on the table. Whether it's uh, you're, a, you're a meta chaser, whether it's you like the way they look if, if, you're, a, if you're a great painter, which I am not. I, I'm a terrible painter. But um, there, there could be innate things than other than other than just the game mechanics of that army, you know. Um, sure. you, you might play eels because you know they're going to come across the table and clobber some poor slob like me, you know. Uh, but uh, the fact of the matter is, is that I think when you've lost, when the army for you has lost its luster, and I know that kind of sounds cheap, but when the army is no longer appealing to you from a, from a point to where, uh, you you either got to put it away, put it on the shelf. Like I, I switch off. I got my I got my my ogres out because I my Beastie Boys need a little bit of a break. But you know what? I know they're coming back. I'm gonna have my Jabber Slice back on the table, and I got to say goodbye to my Nobblers for a little while. So that that's how you do things. But that's for me, and I think that's when I know it's it's time to move on. When when for me the army has kind of lost its luster. 
So, folks, you know, and, and if you got something that you, that, you know that you want to answer to that one, you know, when when does a, a player know that they've played out an army and it's time to move on? Leave those comments in the in the in the comments of the show. I'd like to I'd like to see what those are, man, and, and see where they're at. But but that's it. That's our show. And, and typically at this point right here, we would have closing thoughts. But I think we've drugged this thing out long enough. My only my only closing thought to everyone, if I can uh, take this one on, is. Uh, is get out there, play the games, you know, try to get those games in amongst COVID, you know, be safe, have fun. And, and don't forget that, you know, we come out of this thing. I think we're going to, we're going to come out in the Renaissance of, of gaming. I think we're going to see some of the best tournaments. I think we're going to see some of the best gameplay because I think the, the enthusiasm is going to be there for, from people being kind of bottled up for so damn long. But, um, uh, keep the faith, man. Love that, uh, love that game. And, uh, and, and let, I'll see you guys hopefully on the table sometime soon. And don't forget, Come to one of our war meets, man. We're out there. You know, show up. We had a great time. We got one coming up, not this Saturday, but the next Saturday after that. So hope to see you guys there. Chuck some dice. You know, speaking of Chuck some dice, Chuck, you're going to get up there, Chuck some dice? How much How much dice could Chuck Chuck <laughs> if it Chuck could Chuck dice? There you go. As much as it could Chuck Chuck. There you go. There you go. And, John, we got to get you up, man. Indy, Indy's not that far, dude. We're talking three hours, man. Yep. That's and it. To save an hour coming back. And, and if you drive like I do, it's two and a quarter. Oh, fair. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, anything to say before we wrap it up? No, I'm good. I mean, if I was going to answer the question, I can't, which is, I can't. I, As you can see behind me with You're every shelf I have. There's no hope for you. There's no hope. Well, yeah. I don't I don't get rid of armies. No. I, I, I play them even if they are not supported anymore. That's it. I will, play, I will play them through the old tomes, through the old rules, whatever it is. I mean, if I was going to answer the question... Honestly, the only time I would ever move on from an army is if it was completely and absolutely Wait a a dead. Did I did I completely skip over you? No. You did. You did. You did. I did? Yeah, you did. That's okay. You know what, folks? I, I am tonight's resident asshole. I apologize. No, you're not. No, you're not. You know what? That, it, 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 truthfully, it's the only way I get rid of an army, and I regret actually getting rid of two of my armies in my in my entire life, and that's my Bretonians and my Tomb Kings. And yeah. that was because they were completely unsupported dead armies. And that's the only way I get rid of armies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Justin, I am so sorry, man. I didn't mean to, 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 mean to completely no, run over you, man. I, I apologize. It's all good. All right. Well, well, well even though, even though we, we just screwed over Justin, it was a great show, I think, huh? All right. Well, folks, that, that, that's a wrap. You know, all the Grimdark goons, and, uh, and I'd like to thank uh, our guest, John. Thank you very much for being with us, bud. And all of our listeners and, and watchers for another great show. And we look forward to having you back next time. We discuss all things related to dice dragons, demons, and dwarves in the Warhammer world. So please don't forget to join us next Thursday at 730. And also, please don't forget to hit the like or subscribe button and follow our podcast on Podbean and soon Apple and all the other stuff. So until then, until we meet again, remember, roll them dice fun and fair. And don't be a freaking short pants. Bye. Dark Live, we'd like to thank you for slumming it through another show with us for all things dice, dragons, demons, and a dwarf in the Age of Sigmar worlds. We'll be back live next Thursday, so until then, remember, roll them dice fun and fair, and don't be a frickin' short pants. If you missed the live show, you can catch us again right here on the next Grimdark Live podcast. Never fear, gang. There'll be more great content from Grimdark Live throughout the week with Monster Mondays, Table War Tuesdays, Warhammer Wednesdays, Grimdark Grudge Matches, and a ton more. So stay tuned and stay grim, all you dice-chucking-glue-sniffing-gamer goons. You're all awesome.
Looks like I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue. Remember, embrace the main message here from Dark Live, and that's a social contract we have between gamers and the commitment we have to each other and this community. We're only as good as our last game. Check us out at GrimDarkLive.com. Don't forget to give our channel a like or subscribe if you haven't already done so. So long, Grimdark Goons. Until next time, may the dice gods bless you and your sweaty palms. Bye. Short pants.